Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right, play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, man. We got some NFL football playoffs to discuss. We got some NBA that I want to get into. We got my Georgetown Hoyas that I want to get into. We got a commercial by LeBron James I want to talk about. And then at the end of the podcast, at the end of this podcast, I want to talk about a basketball team, a girls high school basketball team that has a really helped me change my life for the better along with this coach. So it's an experience that I had when I went out to San Diego over the Christmas holiday for a few days and I got a chance to walk on the beach for the first time in a while. I got back to seeing some of my old stomping grounds. I was in San Diego from 1980. What was I in San Diego? From September, I went to school there at San Diego Mesa Junior College, played a little basketball, hung out, chased after a couple of girls and had a good time with my man, Dave O'Neill and Marvin Prather and Mark Lawrence and Damon Green, God rest his soul, and Dave O'Neill and Chad Shirley and all those guys, and so I had a great time, so had a chance to go back to San Diego after not being there for a while, had a chance to walk on the beach and do all those great things, but I met my boys' girls' basketball team and what he's doing with that team and how those girls are playing and all those types of things. It's not about the fact that they play basketball well or anything like that, it's their whole situation of where they're coming from, the reason why they're going to the school, and even the reason why they're playing basketball. To me, it was something where I took some of their lessons, I took some of their reasoning, I took what I saw, and I'm going to apply it to what I do on a day-to-day every day, and hopefully become a better human being because of that. Because isn't that all what we're striving to be every single day, better than what we were the day before? So yeah, I'm going to get into that. That's going to be at the end of the podcast, but we begin the podcast, Wendell's World and Sports, today. We start this podcast with the NFL Divisional Weekend, Playoff Weekend, Saturday's game, which is in about 24 hours. So let's make that about let's make that about 14 hours. In about 14 hours, we got the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers playing, then the Tennessee Titans at the Baltimore Ravens. Then on Sunday's games, we got the Houston Texans at the Kansas City Chiefs, along with the Seattle Seahawks at the Green Bay Packers. You know, I was thinking about this for the first time in a decade in a divisional series. We're not going to have a quarterback that's named Brady, Manning, Breeze, Roethlisberger playing quarterback. We've got Jackson. We've got Wilson. We've got Watson. We've got Cousins, Mahomes, Garoppolo, Tannehill. The only one that's the oh, the only quarterback out there that's kind of like, yeah, I recognize that guy who's someone who might not be a full-fledged NFL fan is NF, if, uh, is Aaron Rodgers. So it's going to be interesting. No more New England, not Pittsburgh this year. We got teams like Houston and Kansas City and Tennessee and San Francisco. So it's going to be interesting to see how this divisional playoff weekend is going to be in the NFL. The main person, of course, I'm going to be focusing on is Lamar Jackson. This is the another hurdle for Lamar to leap. If you think about another mountain to climb, the playoff performances 
that's going to be the next thing that's going to be etched. You know, in, in sports and in athletics, especially at the highest level, the professional athletics, whether you're talking about the NFL or the NBA, Major League Baseball and such, it's always like a projectory. There's always like hurdles. There's always like goals for every athlete out there, no matter how great you are, no matter how individually great you are. I was... Well, I'm watching some of the Dallas Mavericks play the Los Angeles Lakers tonight. And right now at the half, the Lakers are blowing them out by 21. And there's been a whole lot of talk and a whole lot of blah, blah, blah about uh, Luka Doncic, rightfully so. About, my goodness, this is going to be the next Larry Bird or this is what Larry Bird would look like if he was just, if he was playing in the NBA for in just this generation. And this guy's a cross between LeBron and Magic and Bird and Steve Nash and Jerry West coming out that this guy is going to be better than Dirk Nowitzki and Luca has a chance to do all these great things, go down as a great player, go down as a generational superstar, and all those things are true. I've said those things myself, but there's going to come a time, no matter how great Luca is, no matter how many MVPs he might win, no matter how many triple doubles he puts up, no matter how many accolades, individual accolades that he has, no matter his scoring average and all those other things, all those individual stats, uh, stats, and even you know, how, how great the Dallas Mavericks are in the playoffs, there's going to come a time there where no matter how individually great Luka is, there's going to be that next hurdle of, okay, yeah, we know he's great. Okay, yeah, we know he's a superstar. Okay, yeah, we know that he's one of the best, if not the best player in the NBA. So let's kind of forget about trying to compare him and judge him to his contemporaries because we already know that Luca is already head and shoulders above or he's better than a Zion he's better than a Giannis he's better than I don't know any of these other guys a Tyler Hero just joking but basically what I'm saying is all these young cats that it's going to be coming in Luca's generation is like okay we see that Luca is better than all these guys so where do we go next it's going to be okay so let's start comparing him to some of the greats of the games let's start comparing him to the Michaels and the LeBrons and the Magics and the Larry. So let's, and the, and the KDs and all these other guys who have come before him, let's start comparing him to the Steph Currys and all of these other great generational type who, uh, who were great in the NBA. So how many championships has he won? How many times has he made his teammates better? How many, there's going to be a whole new set of goals. It's going to be a whole new set of things that we judge Luca by mother or, the, you know, more than just, wow, the guy had another triple double. He's going to do that enough that we're going to get past the, wow, I can't believe it. Luca's 20 years old, 21, 22, 23 years old. And this guy's putting up triple doubles. This is unbelievable. And he's doing it at this age. Oh my goodness. I can't, I, this is just unbelievable. We're going to get past that rarely, very quickly. That's going to become old hat. Him getting a triple-double is going to be like, okay, been there, done that. What are you going to do now? Do we need a quadruple-double in the game seven of an NBA championship? Where is going to be that historical marker that you're going to place that you can put alongside some of the greatest who's ever played the game, some of the greatest champions who's ever played the game? And sometimes we're going to be unfair about it. I can see in the next two to three years if Luka doesn't do something really spectacular in the playoffs or if, if the Dallas Mavericks don't make the NBA Finals or don't make the conference finals that we're going to start having the conversation of, well, you know, as great as Luka is, I mean, you take a look at someone like a Kobe Bryant, he was an NBA champion at 21. You take a look at someone like a 
Uh, you take someone like a Tim Duncan, he was an NBA champion his first or second year into the league. By the time Tim Duncan or Kobe Bryant or any of these great players were 23, 24 years old, these guys had already been to a championship. This guy, these guys have already done all those things. What's up with Luka? Why hasn't he been able to do those things, same things? All of a sudden now, we start we start raising the level of what we should be judging this guy by, and all of a sudden we start picking holes. All of a sudden now, it's like, well, yeah, Luka is great, but at age 22, how many championships did Kobe win? Yeah, that's true, but, you know, at this time, how great was LeBron? At this time, yeah, but, you see how much Michael Jordan took the league by fire when he was Luka's age? So, let's just calm down on the how great Luka Doncic is. I mean, that's how we are in this culture. That's how we are in the society that we live in. We build up people only to knock them down, especially when the players that come before them, whether it be basketball or baseball or hockey or tennis or boxing or whatever, the, the longer that they're away from the sport, the greater their legend grows. So all of a sudden, five to ten years after LeBron James has retired, we're going to be talking about him as if he was the greatest basketball player of all time. Or we're going to be talking about some of his exploits and we're going to ignore some of the things like what happened in the championship series against Dallas his first time uh, in the champ, or excuse me, his second time in the in the NBA playoffs. Some of the things that we're criticizing LeBron right now because he's being compared to Michael Jordan. And about five to ten years after LeBron has retired, those things will be forgotten. So the legend grows. The careers get better myth mythically after you're gone, after you're retired. Bringing this all the way back, I mean all the way back to what I'm talking about with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is an unbelievable talent. Lamar Jackson is an unbelievable quarterback. Lamar Jackson at 22 years old is going to win the MVP. Lamar Jackson is the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for 3,500 yards, over 3,500 yards, and rush for 1,500 yards. He is redefining what the quarterback position is. But, 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 there is going to be some room for criticism. All of this praise and glory that we heap on Lamar Jackson, if... On Saturday, he doesn't have the type of ball game that we're expecting from Tennessee. All of a sudden now, all of these things that we're talking about, Lamar Jackson, especially when you're talking about the trajectory of where his career is going as far as, as far as his individual brilliance, all of a sudden now, that's almost going to come with an asterisk. All of a sudden now, that's going to come with a, yeah, but, yeah, he proved that he was great in the regular season. Yeah, for this one year, he was fantastic. He was dynamic. He was unbelievable. He was game-changing. He was, you know, the new sensation. But what did he do against the Tennessee Titans? At the number one seed in the AFC playoffs, what did he do? Why didn't he perform the same way in the playoffs on Saturday as he did throughout the regular season? Now, all of a sudden, this generational superstar stuff, now, all of a sudden, that's going to kind of taper off just a little bit. And I bet you, if he has the same type of performance, speaking of Lamar Jackson, if he has the same type of performance against the Titans on Saturday as he did in his first playoff game last season against the Los Angeles Chargers, where he completed 14 of 29 passes for 194 yards, one interception, and a fumble. And through three quarters of that game, if you remember, Jackson had passed for just 25 yards and had a passer rating of zero 
and there was talk on Twitter, and there was talk the next day that yeah, Lamar, after coming in to save a Harbaugh's job, is great, and he's got, but he's got a long way to go, and we saw that in terms of what he did to get the Chargers in the playoffs. If he has something closer to that game Saturday against the Titans than he has shown throughout the regular season, all of a sudden now, I bet you somewhere you're going to hear the whispers of the name RG3. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. All of a sudden, the discussion points on PTI and Around the Horn and the Shannon the Skip show and the Nick Wright show and all these other places are going to be, is it possible that maybe we overrated Lamar Jackson in terms of all of a sudden now projecting that this season that he had for 2019 in the regular season, excuse me, all of a sudden now, we should be able to project that. Hold on for a second. We've seen now that this is the second time in a row that Lamar has failed in the playoffs, especially again, if the Ravens don't win, if they lose to the number six seed in the playoffs, the Tennessee Titans, all of a sudden now, I guarantee you, if Lamar is just subpar, if Lamar throws for a couple of interceptions, if Lamar doesn't complete at least 20, uh, um, doesn't complete at least 55, 60% of his passes, all of a sudden now, you're going to hear that whisper. So I'm just interested to see from Lamar Jackson's standpoint, is this going to be the time where he's going to have the ability to go ahead and again, conquer another challenge, which is, yeah, great regular season, but how is he going to do in the playoffs? Did he learn anything from the playoffs from last season against the Los Angeles Chargers, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, on this podcast. So doggone glad to be with you. So, yeah, I think, you know what, I'm going to be interested to see, I'm going to be interested to see really how much of the momentum that Tennessee took from their game against New England, burying the dynasty, how much of that momentum is going to carry on playing against a team in Baltimore that really hasn't played in three weeks, if you really think about it. I mean, we can talk about, yeah, the regular season finale. Sure, but you're talking about... Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson and some of the other important starters on offense and defense for the Ravens, they haven't played in a little while. How long is it going to take for them? How many series is it going to take for them to shake off some of the rust? I sincerely, highly doubt that the Ravens are going to be coming into this game and going full speed from the first get-go. You just naturally can't. When you've been off and you've been off that routine for that long, you're talking about three weeks to your key components on the offensive and defensive side of the football. So going up against a Tennessee Titans squad, who, as I mentioned before, is playing really good football, is going to be filled with confidence. Are you going to even you know, get that confidence even more, even have that confidence for Tennessee grow even more, say, for instance, in Baltimore finding themselves in the first three or four possessions of the game and it allows Tennessee to maybe take a 10-0 lead or maybe take a 7-0 lead. So we don't know what's going to be happening in those games. So I think that's the same thing that's going to be happening in Baltimore. I think that's the same thing that's going to be happening in San Francisco when you have someone like a Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, has someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo who really hasn't had the opportunity to Hold on for a second. Hold on. Boy, someone talked to me about Gabrielle Dennis. That is one fine-looking woman. 
Okay, back to what I was talking about. I was just watching a commercial. Back to what I was talking about. Yeah, but getting back to the um, Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers game in terms of, you know, how is San Francisco going to come out? This is the first time we're just speaking about the leader of that offense, Jimmy Garoppolo, playing starting in a playoff game, especially, again, after having a few weeks off. How is he going to be able to adjust to make sure that the Minnesota Vikings who are coming in emotionally high after that game against um, the New Orleans Saints. How are they going to combat that? The crowd is going to be, you know, in their favor and rocking out there in San Francisco, Minnesota. Again, I don't know what Kirk Cousins is going to be doing, even though he did have a really good game against the uh, Saints. We don't know if that's going to be a carryover into the next game. Again, Road Warriors, the Minnesota Vikings. So I take a look at some of these quarterbacks like Garoppolo, Lamar Jackson, who haven't been in this position before. We know Aaron Rodgers has been in this position multiple times. We know after last season that Patrick Mahomes, after the bye week, he came in and played very well. So we have a better understanding of how those guys are going to be competing, how those guys are going to be dealing with the time off to get themselves ready to go and play against if you're Green Bay, Seattle, and if you're Kansas City, Houston. So those are the things that I'm going to be looking at. Those are the things that I'm going to be looking for. So in that regard, should be a pretty good weekend. It should be a very good NFL weekend. And it's dwindling, man. This is dwindling. After this, we have the AFC and NFC Championship. Then we have the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks after that. Is it one week or is it two weeks? I, I don't even know. I mean, when we're talking about the Super Bowl nonsense, whether it's... I just wish that it was one week. I know that it used to, um, it used to go back and forth between two weeks. And one week, I don't know. I just kind of wish that it would just always be one week and let's just get this over week. There's nothing more ridiculous. I, I really take the week off of sports when it's the Super Bowl week, especially when it's two weeks, because the first week you really have nothing to do. You really have nothing to talk about. And then the second week you're out there and, you know, all the folks in sports broadcasting, they go down the radio row. I've never been to radio row. Don't want to go down the radio row. Have no interest in going down the radio row. But you're there from Monday through Friday and you get there and you talk to all the ex-NFL football players. You go ahead and talk to all the uh, NFL players that are, that are hawking products and doing all these things. And you talk ad nauseum about the meaningless storylines pertaining to the Super Bowl. You look for something and we talk about the media day and who's going to be asking the stupid questions and who's going to be asking Tom Brady to marry them and all this kind of bullshit and all this kind of nonsense. I have absolutely zero interest in any of that stuff. I'm not interested in the pregame. I'm not interested in any of that stuff. When it comes to the Super Bowl, man, and for me, it's like as soon as the last championship game is over in the conference, let me know what time the Super Bowl starts as far as kickoff is concerned on that Sunday, whether it be a week or two weeks from then, that's when I get back to paying attention to football. Now, if there's something in the news as far as an injury or something that could affect the outcome of the Super Bowl before it happens during the week or whatever. Yes, I want to know about that. Yes, I want to dive into that and learn about that and all those things and have it be discussed. But some of the things, as I mentioned before, just to go ahead and say we're down here at Radio Row, we got to talk about something. They just find any type of bullshit to talk about. And that's the type of stuff that I'm not interested in at all. So, yeah, the Super Bowl hype and nonsense and all those things that ain't for me you know i'll watch it with some friends maybe maybe go to uh maybe go to a bar i'm, I'm versatile when it when i do that hey man i'll have 
just as much fun watching the Super Bowl by myself at my house in front of my TV with my soda and my chips and my everything else watching the game than I would be a few years ago when I watched um, Philadelphia beat New, uh, New England at a sports bar down in Henderson. And I swear to goodness, man, the woman that served us I had never seen anybody in Vegas more beautiful than that woman. Good, goodness gracious, I wanted to kiss the mother and shake the hands of the father for producing such an unbelievably beautiful uh, child. But that woman, Rose, was beyond the pale of beauty. So really doesn't matter to me as far as the Super Bowl watching and everything like that is concerned. But uh, yeah, this divisional round, it's going to be good. Taking a look, if there's going to be any type of upset, I think it's going to be Seattle and Green Bay. I think that Baltimore will handle Tennessee. I think San Francisco is going to do a thing against Minnesota. I think Kansas City is going to get it done against Houston. I think the one outcome that could differ would be Seattle. Because when you have somebody like a Russell Wilson going up, even though they don't have the superstars, they don't have the unbelievable skill players, I think with Russell Wilson, he can get it done. So it looks like it would be a championship between Seattle and San Francisco. And then you're taking a look at Baltimore and Kansas City. And that would also be two very good games to decide who is going to be going to the Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, man, getting back to Lamar Jackson, I'm going to be interested to see, can he overcome this hurdle? Can he conquer the next challenge and move on as he projects to be not just the best quarterback in the league, but this kid from Louisville, Kentucky, or who went to Louisville, I think he's from Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, this kid from, from Florida who played and did his thing at Louisville, Kentucky for Bobby Petrino. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to the position that he's put in in this 2020 NFL playoffs. <laughs> Windows World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So, doggone glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down and discuss in the world of sports. Whew. <clears throat> Up here taking a look at the television here. I got SmackDown in the background here. No, it looks like that John Morrison is back in the WWE. Fantastic. Wonderful. Is there any way that he could bring Melina back? Now, if you brought back Melina, now we're talking because that was one beautiful, attractive, sexy woman when she was doing her thing with Morrison and the other guy that he was teaming up with back in his last uh, run with the with the with the company but they're up there against the new day and i guess they're now a heel team morrison and the Miz. so all right whatever waiting for the nba game the lakers and the uh, mavericks to get back so i can go ahead and watch luca play against lebron as i'm talking about the nba on this podcast nba news 35 games into the season here we're going to be talking about on Wendell's World in Sports. The podcast with me, Wendell Wallace. Hey, the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's talk about some teams that have been uh, impressing me so far. I haven't really been, you know what, I, I got to admit. You know, I haven't been as diligent as I should be watching the NBA. And it's not because I hate the NBA or the NBA boring and load management, blah, blah, blah. I don't think I've really taken advantage of being in a situation out here living in Las Vegas to where I could watch 
the Lakers and I can watch the Clippers, two of the three or four best teams in the NBA. I can watch them play on a nightly basis. I mean, because, you know, life goes on and I got other things going on. And of course, there's football and I've got to work and some other things. I really haven't dedicated the time that I wanted to. I'm not saying that I haven't been watching a lot of NBA because, of course, I have been watching the NBA. Love the NBA as you might already know about this concerning me and my love for the NBA. It's kind of like my wife. It's kind of like my one and only. It's kind of like the mother of my children. It's almost like my Gabrielle Dennis. It's almost like my Vita Guerrera. It's almost like my Monica Bellucci. It's almost like my Selma Hayek. It's almost like my Halle Berry back in the boomerang days, even though now she's still one gorgeous, sexy, pretty, attractive woman. The NBA is my thing. Love the NBA. So it's not like I'm ignoring the NBA. It's not like I'm shunning the NBA. It's not like I'm cheating on the NBA with another sports lever in terms of the sports that I watch. Don't get me wrong. I ain't cheating on the NBA for hockey, but I just haven't watched as much um, of the NBA as I should have. But now with the NBA coming, excuse me, now with the NFL coming to an end, I'll be able to do such a thing. So yeah, talking about some of the best teams in the NBA so far who have caught my attention. Man, what about the Milwaukee Bucks? Too bad they're not playing in New York, or too bad that franchise isn't located in another major city because really enjoy watching the Milwaukee Bucks play and Giannis Adenokupo. This this young man is better this season than he was last season. Milwaukee is 32-6, the best record in the league. They're leading the league in scoring. Their point differential also leads the league. And Adenokupo, man, 30 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists shooting 55% from the field. That's not the reason why I'm saying that Adenokupo is better than he was last season. What's making him even more potent is the fact that he's shooting and making more three-point shots this season. He's averaging from the three-point line 32% on five three-point shots attempts per game. That's a 4% improvement. If Giannis, forget trying to be a guy who's going to be shooting 42, 40, even 38%. If Giannis on a consistent basis can raise his three-point shooting percentage to somewhere around 35%. It's over. It is over. You can talk about all the Lucas and the Zions and the other great young players and all this kind of stuff that you want to. There is going to be no other unstoppable force for the next five or six years. If you're getting Luka, excuse me, if you're getting Giannis shooting 35% from the three-point line, shooting maybe five or six three-point attempts per game when you mix him all of his other athletic uh, athletic gifts. It's going to be school over, man. It's going to be lights out. It really is. And one thing that I also like about Giannis, and it's been mentioned before, the fact that, you know, he's, he, he's sort of got that Kobe, that black mamba Kobe mentality, that, almost that Russell Westbrook type of mentality where, hey, look, man, I'm not going on the court to be your buddy. I'm not going on the court to say, wow, I'm playing with the, I'm going up against LeBron or I'm going up against KD or I'm going up against Steph. I'm going up against all these superstars, my hero growing up in Greece. Oh, my gosh, golly, can I get your autograph after the game? He's like, man, fuck that bullshit. I'm here to retire your fucking asses. That's, that's the attitude that Giannis had. Now, yes, I understand that KD and Steph and those guys aren't playing, but what I'm saying is there was a time early on in his career, the first couple of times or first couple of years he was in the NBA where it was like, wow, man, I'm going up against KD. I'm going up against LeBron and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm not at their level yet. And my gosh, I got so much to learn from these guys and 
oh, this, that, and the other. It was almost like he didn't feel that he was at their level. And at the time, he wasn't at their level. But now, it's just a matter of, fuck that, man. No more goo goo gaga. oh my goodness gracious. I'm, I'm here to take them out. I'm here to let them know that there's a new sheriff in town and the name ain't Reggie Hammond. It's Giannis Adenokupo. And uh, it's my league now. Get the fuck out of here. So, I love that attitude by Giannis. And it's coming through. He's had some monster games uh, this season. And he's, he's going to be the type of guy that's going to see someone like a Zion, see someone like a Luca, see one of these young cats who the league might be propping up because, you know, we've almost kind of, we've almost kind of plateaued on Giannis mania. I mean, there was a time where it was all about Giannis, 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 Giannis. And after a couple of years of him being great, especially the, after the, the love affair that we gave him last season, now it's, oh my goodness, Luca, 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 Luca. So we've almost pushed Giannis in the background when it comes to the hype and the praise or the majority of the hype and the praise is now gone to Luca. Hey, you know, I mean, Doncic has deserved all the hype that he could get, but it seemed to me with the new mentality or this now grown mature mentality that a Kupo has, it's almost like, he's like, you know what? Next time we played Milwaukee, I knew that I was out or who was I? No, Giannis, um, Luca was out the first time that Milwaukee and Dallas played each other. He had just, Speaking of Dantage, he had just sprained his ankle. So because of that, that was the game that Dallas won in Milwaukee. And I think Giannis put up something like 40-something and 16 or 17 rebounds. He was unbelievable. But I think in the rematch, if both of those guys are playing and both of those guys are relatively healthy, it's going to be something where it's almost like, I think it's almost going to be within the context of team and winning the basketball game. I think it's going to be a statement game that, and Dennis Kupo is going to want to give to Luca to let him know that, hey, man, you might be great, and you might be this, and you might be that, but just remember, this is my league. This is my league, and don't you fucking forget it. It's going to be my league when LeBron and Steph and all those other guys leave. When they patch the, when they, when LeBron finally leaves, when LeBron finally retires, he's going to want to pass the torch. He ain't going to be going down to Dallas. He's going to be going over to Milwaukee to give that torch to me. And I'm not going to take it. I'm going to snatch it. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to say, get the fuck out of here, old man. And I'm ready to do my thing. So I think that's the mentality that Giannis has. And uh, because of that, you know, when you are a franchise player like Adena Kupo, it, the, your, your attitude and your competitiveness, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's lukewarm, whatever that is, it filters down to the team. You are the trendsetter. You are basically the one who runs that organization from a player standpoint. I mean, you become the most important player in that organization. Not so much the coach. It's also about the player. What kind of tone does he set? When Tim Duncan was doing his thing in San Antonio, the tone, tone wasn't set by Greg Popovich, at least among the players. The tone was set with Tim Duncan. I mean, the rules in that locker room were set by Tim Duncan, just like it was when LeBron was in Cleveland the first and third time, or the first and second time. And when he was down in Miami, he was the one that kind of set the table. He was the one that kind of let, uh, made the rules. He was the one who the players had to follow. I mean, this was the situation. 
And this is the same thing with Giannis. So when Giannis has that mentality of kill or be killed, when Giannis has that mentality that I'm going to play every single basketball game, whether it be in February, whether it be in December, whether it be in March, whether it's game 65, whether it's game 47, whether it's game 32, 18, whatever, I'm going to play each and every one of those games like it's the last two minutes of game seven in the NBA playoffs. When you have your star franchise player having that mentality and plus then having the work ethic and the dedication to his craft and his body to get himself at that generational type of player, then it only permeates down to the other players on that squad. That's why you can get away with having Chris Middleton as the number two guy on your team and not have to deal with or not have to worry about having another unbelievable superstar. That's one of the reasons why I think as of right now, while LeBron has been awesome, while LeBron is great, and if you want to go ahead and make the argument that LeBron is still the best player in the NBA, there's a path where you can go where you can make that um, where you can make that claim. That's fine. But I'm saying, you know what? LeBron needs Anthony Davis to win himself an NBA championship. Now, any team, any player, any great player, any top five, top six player in the league we could use an Anthony Davis to, and, and win a championship. You put Anthony Davis instead of Paul George on the Los Angeles Clippers with Kawhi, there's a favorite to win a championship. You put Anthony Davis on the squad with Giannis, they're going to win the championship. You put Anthony Davis on the team and substitute Christoph Porzingis and put Anthony Davis right, right, right next to Luka Doncic this season. The Dallas Mavericks are going to the conference finals. But for the Milwaukee Bucks, and for Giannis, and the reason why I say that he's the best player in the NBA this season so far, even better than LeBron, he has the Milwaukee Bucks playing as the best team in the NBA, and his number two guy is Chris Middleton. No disrespect to Chris Middleton, but he is not Anthony Davis. So the Milwaukee Bucks are playing quite well. Going into the playoffs, who knows, man? What's what's going to be happening? I don't know. We've known the we've known the track record of Mike Budenholzer the coach of Milwaukee, what he did when he was coaching Atlanta a few years ago. He's a great regular season coach. I don't know so much about what he's doing in the playoffs in terms of, you know, I remember when Atlanta, he had the 61 season. Remember that? And four guys from that squad made the all-star game. It was Kyle Korver, Jeff Teague, and Al Horford, and Paul Millsap. And they went ahead and played Cleveland with LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love, and they got themselves the balloon off the court in four straight Remember that? And, you know, it doesn't help Bootenholder's reputation, the fact that Milwaukee had his best season maybe since the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar days in terms of the regular season. And after being ahead 2-0 against the Toronto Raptors, that they lost four straight and were bounced in the conference finals. So it's almost like a situation where, yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to do well. And look, you know, the way they're projected, I probably think that they're going to win anywhere between 60, 63 games, uh, what they're going to be doing, but it means absolutely nothing. The home court throughout the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs mean nothing. It's going to be, what are you going to be able to do in the Eastern Conference Finals? Are you going to be able to hit a three-point shot? Is Eric Bledsoe going to be able to elevate his game and play a lot better? Is Chris Middleton going to be able to play a lot better? Is Somehow, some way, the Lopez, Lopez brothers, if they, for instance, have the opportunity to play maybe 
the Philadelphia 76ers. If Joel Embiid can stop messing up his fingers, get out there and play and play like a guy who should be the best player in the NBA, or at least the very least the most dominant force in the NBA with his size and strength and skill. If we meet an angry, different mentality Joel Embiid in the conference finals to go along with Ben Simmons, if they could ever work that out, does the Lopez brothers, do they do anything to try to stymie, slow down, stop, or do whatever the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers in the conference finals or whenever they meet, depending upon the seed? So going forward, those are the things that I'm going to be looking for from the Milwaukee Bucks. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Boston Celtics, speaking of NBA teams that have caught my attention, the number two seed. Lost a couple of games now. They lost to the Washington Wizards. Not good. They lost on Thursday, yesterday to the Joel Embiidless Philadelphia 76ers. But still enjoy what the Celtics are doing. Brad Stevens, hey man, you know, we just had a little hiccup. Brad Stevens was never as great of, as, of a coach that we think he is. But he was never as bad of a coach that we thought he might be. And I shouldn't say as bad of a coach, but I think some of the shine rubbed off uh, Brad Stevens after last season because with the team that they had coming back, this was a Boston Celtic team from the 2018-19 season that expected to at least make the conference finals. And it was just a debacle all the way around. Chemistry problems, injury problems, situational problems, philosophy problems, all of the things. You could say that the main actor, the lead star in all of this drama was Kyrie Irving, but there were some other guys who regressed and really didn't respond to any type of adversity, uh, both on and off the court when it came. But that that is a reflection of the coach. But, you know, I think that uh, Brad Stevens is still a tremendous coach. I mean, no question about it. So I think that now with Kyrie Irving out, Kimball Walker in, he's a great replacement for Kyrie Irving. Why? Because he's not Kyrie Irving. And I think his different mentality of way he goes about things has been a positive rub off on such guys as a Jason 12 time Tatum and a Jalen Brown. If you take a look at Tatum, I mean, this is a man who's playing as a borderline all-star. He's averaging six more points than he did last season when he averaged 15 this season. Let me see 15 plus six is taking one over and carry the two. So this season he's averaging 21 points a game. He has career highs in assists and rebounds. Jalen Brown is having career highs and everything, especially now after signing that long-term contract. He's shooting 51% from the floor, 20 points per game on almost 40% from the three-point line, seven rebounds a game. He's playing a career-high 33 minutes. Again, Kemba is leading the team with 22 points per game. The roles are much more defined. Gordon Hayward is playing much better. Of course, he's playing much better after coming back from that horrendous foot injury that he had that knocked him out a couple of seasons ago. He came back and kind of had to fight his way both mentally and physically to get himself in the position to get back to where he was before. I thought it was pretty unrealistic and not fair to him to think that, okay, yeah, he missed the entire season the year that he broke his foot, but you guys really don't think or broke his ankle or broke his lower leg extremity, but you really don't think. You really don't think that Gordon was going to come back and be the type of player that he was in Utah one year after basically having his foot turned the other way on an alley-oop attempt in the first game that he was the Boston Celtics in the regular season, in that game in Cleveland against the Cavaliers. Oh, Rick Carlisle is getting thrown out of the game. Yeah, he was he was getting pretty hot. He was getting pretty hot during the first quarter, got that tee, and was not happy at all. 
in the uh, let me see what happens if there was a foul. Looking at the replay, looking at the replay, he's got to re- protect his boy. So yeah, yeah. Lakers are up by twenty. He's upset. He's frustrated. He's just saying, you know what, man, fuck it. It's not one of them days. Get me out of here. Yeah, he was just kind of like, yeah. He was kind of like, throw me out, throw me out. I'm done. I'm done. Good. Now since they got the tea, now let me kind of get my money's worth. <clears throat> you don't wanna. You don't wanna leave the court. If you're going to be thrown out of the game, I mean, you might as well just go for it. Rick's got enough money to where if they find him, he's going to be able to pay it. So I'm just, yeah, get your money's worth before you get thrown out, man. Go for it. You might not get this opportunity for a while. Okay, but getting back to what I'm talking about with the uh, Boston Celtics. Yeah, so I think, again, the loss of Kyrie Irving, and again, I don't think it was all Kyrie's fault. I think there was a lot lot of blame to go around, but now you have Gordon Hayward year two coming back from that horrific injury. Um, The improvement, I just think the natural improvement, really. I think that the experience of Tatum and Brown and Walker getting to gain some chemistry while playing for Team Team USA over over the summer, under the tutelage of Greg Popovich, I just think that it was a godsend for those guys to come into the season in shape, basketball mentality ready, and I think having to uh, prove something. I mean, to prove the fact that, you know what, Kyrie's gone, but that's okay. We got ourselves a really good player in, in Kimba, and we're going to do our thing, and we're going to get it done. Of course, moving forward, if you're a fan of the Boston Celtics, or if you're Danny Ainge, or Brad Stevens, or any of the players, of course, if you're going to be thinking about taking a shot at the championship for this year and a couple of seasons beyond, you're going to need to do something about the big man. You're going to need to do something about that center position because right now you're playing with Enos Cantor, you're playing with Daniel Thiessen, you're playing with Robert Williams, not the first, the second, but the third at center. And you're going to have to do something a little bit better than that. Now, there's been rumors that they've been interested in Andre Drummond of the Detroit Pistons. There's been interest that they're interested in Tristan Thompson, not Chloe. Chloe doesn't come with him. Just Tristan Thompson of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Maybe do something to shore up that hole in the middle that you have at the center position. My thing is this, though. If you're thinking about getting Andre Drummond, here's my two parts that I would ask Danny Ainge. If you're really thinking about doing that, if you're quote-unquote kicking the tires to see if that's something that will work for you, should you break up the core that is Tatum or Brown or Walker or Smart or Hayward for Andre Drummond or a Tristan Thompson? And if you're focusing mainly on an Andre Drummond and maybe think about we need somebody in the middle again to go against someone like a Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers, there's been pretty much ample evidence to show that Joel Embiid has pretty much owned Andre Drummond, not, Drummond, not just on the court, but also in his head. I mean, he loves talking some shit to Andre Drummond and it seems to be working. He loved to go Dennis Rodman on Andre Drummond playing the role of Alonzo Mourning when Mourning was with the Heat. So it'll be interesting to see if they go ahead and actually do those things. I don't know what to do in the situation. There's not really a quality big man. And it goes again to what I was saying about Joel Embiid. I don't think that there's anybody out there who can really stay with Joel Embiid as far as, you know, a matchup is concerned. When Joel is focused, when Joel wants to dominate, when Joel is really doing his thing, and it's been inconsistent. 
And boy, have we seen that with a lot of big men, right? I mean, it's almost like, come on, man, Embiid, what are you going to be? Are you going to be the second coming of Dwight Howard, a guy who, you know, in spurts when he was with Orlando, not only with the defensive player of the year, you looked at him and you said to yourself, man, if this guy would just stop being a fucking goof and a clown and really take it seriously and really just think about dominating and just get angry and get mean and get that mentality that the league is his to own and to dominate from the from the big man position. But Dwight never had that mentality. Dwight never had that maturity. Maturity. So because of that, you saw that Dwight Howard goes from being a generational great NBA big man to maybe not getting into the Hall of Fame. If you're Joel Embiid, is that the path you're going to go? Because there's ample evidence when you want to. I saw you do it against Golden State. I saw you do it against Milwaukee. I saw you do it against Houston over their last season and a half. I've seen when you're focused. I saw you do it and against against the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs. I, I've seen you do it. So it's there. I know you got it. Charles Barkley has, so, has seen it. Shaquille O'Neal has seen it. They've called you out on it, and you've agreed with it. I mean, what's it going to be? So, again, if Joel decides to start to dominate, and he dedicates himself to domination, if he gets a Denikupo mentality, a Tenekupo mentality, Giannis a Denikupo mentality, then if you're the Boston Celtics, should we really break up this core? Should we really give up some draft picks and, and you know, put our future in jeopardy, so to speak, to go after Andre Drummond? Because Andre Drummond has, what, a year and a half left on his contract. He's going to be making $28.5 million this season or next season. I mean, is that really, we're going to, you know, gut the, gut the team for a guy who's not going to be really able to stand up against Joel when everything is all said and done when we need him to be there. So it'll be interesting. It really will be interesting. So that's the Boston Celtics situation. It's Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So, Doug, I'm glad that you could be with us. The Miami Heat, man, how about them? They're 17-1 at home. They're 26-10 and on the road. How long can they keep this up? Huh? Do you know? Tell me. How long can the Miami Heat keep going? There was a lineup that they played last week, starting lineup. They had Myers Leonard, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, Derrick Jones Jr., and Kendrick Nunn. That was their starting five. Can they keep this up? Now, here's the one thing I will say. When you're talking about the Miami Heat, and you're talking about their culture, and you're talking about the type of players that they go after, these guys play every single game, every single minute, like it's the most important game of their lives. And they get a lot of victories with that mentality, especially when you're talking about the quote-unquote dog days in an 82-game schedule. I'm looking at there's like a period of time where you're looking at maybe 35 games during the season where I'm not saying that the players mail it in, but it's just one of these where it's kind of like, it's just wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat in terms of, you know, what day is this? Who are we playing? Okay, let's go, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, you, you can't have that mentality. Very few teams, very few players, very few cultures, very few organizations have that mentality, mentality to where we're going to be playing all 82 games as if our lives depend on it. You can't do that. Because if you did, you basically burn out your entire franchise by game 46. You can't have that. The Miami Heat are the ones who come closest to every single fucking game, man. 
We're going to go out and we're going to give it our all. The only problem is with that mentality that if you don't have a superstar like LeBron or a Chris Bosh and a Dwayne Wade back in the day, or if you don't have a superstar like a Steph or a Durant or one of those type of players, a top five, top six players, that it's nice during the regular season where you can get 20 to 25 wins just because you try harder, not because you're better. It's just because you decided on a Tuesday night in February when it's cold outside and the stadium or the arena is 65% full that you're going to decide and go out there and play like it's the last game of your lives. That's going to be the Miami Heat. That's how they're going to get at least 20, 25 wins this season by just wanting it more, by just wanting to be there and compete more than the other team. So how does that translate to that in the playoffs where every single game means something, where the team sees your patterns, where it sees your sets that you run and all those type of things? That's when the team with the, with the most talent usually wins the series. Now, Eric Spolstra is a fantastic coach. I think Jimmy Butler is a good player. But I've always questioned Jimmy Butler being, is Jimmy Butler, can Jimmy Butler be the best player on a team that wins a championship? I say no, especially with the team that he has. He doesn't have another superstar on that squad. So I say no, I don't think he can. I think Miami can can do some things in the playoffs. And I think that Miami is one of these teams where if they play, say for instance, Philadelphia, or if they play Boston in the playoffs, man, and Boston or Philadelphia, whoever is the winner going against Miami, going into the next series, that team is going to be uh, damaged goods big time. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, you can almost say, for instance, I'll give you a boxing analogy. It's almost like the Miami Heat are almost like the NBA version of a Sean Porter. Sean Porter is, is a boxer who no one wants to fight because he is just relentless. Okay, you might not. Okay, ah, here we go. Here we go. I'll bring out a, a historical figure. The Miami Heat are like the Joe Frazier of the NBA. And when I say that, what I mean is Frazier just kept coming and coming and coming and motherfucking get your ass off me. Damn. For nine, ten rounds, he just kept coming and coming and he wouldn't back down. He wouldn't take a step back. So Ali might have won that fight in Manila. Ali might have won that fight at Madison Square Garden. But damn, it took it took years off his life. It took, you know, it took a lot out of his performance to continue. Because he might have won the battle. Or he might have won the war. But damn, Frazier Shore didn't win a lot of battles. And that's the same thing, man, with the Miami Heat. Every single possession, every single minute, every single play, the Miami Heat are going to keep coming and coming and coming and coming. So after six or seven games, you're just going to be like, fuck this. Can I, like, rest? Can I go to Cabo or something like that and rest for, like, two weeks? What? This game seven ended on Sunday, and we got a game on the road for game one of the conference finals on Tuesday? Shit. I mean, it's going to be one of those deals. Would you play the Miami Heat? So, look, Bam on the Bayou is going to be a superstar. I thought that he was going to be a better version of Bizback Miyambo, a guy who really didn't have a position at 6'9", a guy who at 6'9", really didn't have the perimeter skills, and even though he was a great athlete, I didn't know how he could, even as a small ball five, how he would do at that position, but he has turned out to be a really, really, really good player. I wish Coach Pop didn't cut him 
for the uh, U.S. Olympic team. He could have been that much better. But, hey, Jimmy Butler, as I mentioned before, 20 points, 6 assists per game. If there was a, if he was playing alongside Kawhi, if he was playing alongside 2015 LeBron, if he was playing alongside Clay and Steph, then I would say, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that the Miami Heat would have a great chance. But Jimmy Butler being the number one guy moving forward into a playoff round had the same mentality of the Miami Heat. So as far as a mentality and a philosophy wise of just being a dog out there and playing hard every single day, every single game, every single minute, every single night, I think that matches well with Miami. But when you get to the playoffs, I think talent wins out. So you're taking a look at Milwaukee. You're taking a look at Boston. You're taking a look at Philadelphia. I think in the end, despite the admiration I have for the Miami Heat and the culture that they apply to every single game, I think in the end, I mean, Myers Leonard, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, all great stories. Tyler Hero, great stories. But in the end, talent wins out. So I don't think that the Miami Heat will have the talent to be a force in terms of winning an NBA championship. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So, so glad that you could be with us. The defending NBA champions, the uh, Toronto Raptors, 24-13, and 13, still hanging on, man. They are still hanging on. You know how it is, bro? I'm just hanging on. Despite losing Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul, Norman Powell, all missing games this season because of injury. Nick Nurse, huh? I was one of those where when Nick Nurse got hired and uh, Saji Jerry fired Dwayne Casey after winning Coach of the Year, I was kind of like, Nick Nurse, really? Ugh, I don't know about that. I mean, Dwayne was doing well. Well, I was obviously wrong. Yesai definitely made the right choice. I mean, that man can coach. That man can coach, and he still has that team in position to do some things. I don't think, though, the improvement of Pascal Siakam is fantastic. I think that he's worked his way into being a top 15 player in the NBA, possibly top 12. And he given that he could be top eight type of talent. And I think that he's going to just continue to improve. But despite all of those things, the question is for Ujiri is, am I going to continue to have the squad play? Am I going to go out and try to add some pieces? Or am I just going to go out? Because he does have some, some attractive pieces if he wants to rebuild. He wants to say, for instance, you know what? I'm just going to start rebuilding around Siakam and, and Fred Van Vliet. And O.G. Abinobi. So I got myself guys like Cal Lowry, who's 30-something years old. I got Serge Ibaka, who's passed his championship prime as far as being a top three or top four guy on a team that can win a championship. You know, Marcus Saul, he got his championship, but he's, what, 34, 35 years old. So am I going to start looking around, maybe getting some draft picks? What am I going to do in this situation? Do I go forward? Do I owe it to my franchise? Do I owe it to just... Just the NBA, the fact that we won an NBA championship and then I'm going to go ahead, turn around, and all of a sudden have a fire sale, be the Miami Marlins of the uh, of the NBA? No, I'm not going to do that. So it'll be interesting. They're not going to do what Mark Cuban did after the Dallas Mavericks won their championship and decided to let Chandler Tyson go and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Toronto Raptors, but I give them great props for what they did in that absolutely beautiful city that maybe in the near future, depending upon what happens with the presidential elections in the next four or five years, I may call home the Toronto Raptors in Toronto, Ontario, home of some of the most beautiful women 
that you will ever see. I'm sorry, some, home of some of the most beautiful black women that you'll ever see um, in North America. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And that leads me to, because I spoke about the Milwaukee Bucks, talked about the Boston Celtics, talked about the Miami Heat, talked about the Toronto Raptors. Now we're going to be moving down to, yes, your friends and mines over in the city of brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia 76ers. One of the most confusing, confounding teams in the leagues this season. I have no idea exactly what to say or talk about this team. I understand their lack of three-point shooting. J.J. Redick is not walking through that door. Um, I don't know who else. Terrence Ross is not walking through that door. You know, that's, it's just not happening. So, can you have Ben Simmons on the court at the end of the game when you have Embiid and Harris and Horford and Richardson on the floor? And, man, I'm telling you what. This will be interesting going forward. How well is this chemistry going to jive with Simmons and Embiid? Because there's some flaws here to where I don't think it's going to change. And because it's not going to change, that can lead to some contradiction. It's more than just, wow, you know, we all know that Joel and Ben Simmons ain't buddy buddies off the court. I mean, they ain't hanging together. They ain't chasing skirts together. They ain't going to the movies together. They ain't training in the offseason or hanging out or going to Cabo or Paris or any of them things. You know, I mean, they, they're cool with each other. They don't hate each other. But it's kind of like, you know, when we're here, when we're with the team, when we're at the facility, when we're at the arena, okay, we can joke, we can hang, we can talk. But at the end of the day, when it's time to punch out, you go left, I go right, you go north, I go south, you go east, I go west, and we'll see you when I see you. That type of thing. So it's it's not so much when people talk about chemistry. I don't think it's so much of personality in terms of why this wouldn't work. But there's just some flaws, namely Ben Simmons' inability to shoot and his inability to, inability to even want to shoot anything outside of a three-foot layup to where it might serve as an irreparable difference in the relationship between Embiid and Simmons. It's almost like, you know, when people get divorced, and thank goodness I'm not married, so thank goodness I don't have to ever have to go through a divorce. It's almost like, well, why are you getting divorced? Well, he's a piece of shit who cheats on me. Or, well, she's a, she's a conniving cunt who runs up my, who, you know, who, who likes to run up my credit cards. Or she doesn't like to work and pay bills, but she sure loves to spend my money, that bitch. Or that motherfucker, all he does is cheats on me and doesn't spend any time. And he doesn't fuck me when I want to. There's like different reasons why people get divorced. But sometimes it's almost like, look, I just don't like living with them anymore. Nothing personal. I don't hate them. When we go through this divorce, let's just do it civil. I don't hate you. You don't hate me. When everything is all said and done, we shake hands, we hug, we make give each other a peck on the cheek and We'll go our different ways, but I don't hate the guy. I'm not going to be talking about you. I'm not going to badmouth you in front of the children. I'm not going to uh, resist you having visitation rights or anything like that. We're going to be mature. We're going to be adults. No harm, no foul. It was just a situation where the marriage didn't work. But, you know, he had some good time, but it's time to move on and find something better. I think that could be the situation with Joel and Ben down the road. It's not going to happen this season, but say, for instance, that the Sixers flame out in the playoffs this season, 
I mean, I think that could be a situation where it's kind of like, look, you know, one of these two have to go. It doesn't have to be Kobe and Shaq. It doesn't have to be KD and Russ. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It could just be, hey, look, you know, for the betterment of your career and my career and the team that I'm on and the team that you're going to be going to, I think it's better that we're playing a part. And when it comes to all-star games, we'll hang out and we'll laugh and we'll joke and we'll give each other daps and we'll cheer for each other and we'll laugh and joke on the bench of the game and all those type of things. And maybe I'll see you and say what's up and talk to you a little bit during the all-star weekend, during the dunk contest and all that kind of stuff. But as far as being teammates are concerned, we have run the course of this relationship. It's time to go somewhere else. It'll be interesting to see as this season goes forward how that relationship from that regard uh, exists with Joel and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, it's, I, I, I'm trying to think. Because I don't want to take too much from one game. I don't. I don't. So I don't want to sit here and start making these like, oh my goodness, they're a better team without Joel. Or, oh my goodness, didn't you watch that one game? They're a better team without Joel or Ben Simmons. But it's like, if Ben Simmons could be on a team where he was just surrounded by shooters and a creative coach, I don't think Brett Brown utilizes Ben Simmons as much as he could. Look, I'm not going to sit here and just start, you know, pretending to be coach. I'm not going to play coach on the podcast. Well, I will for a second. But, you know, if Ben Simmons is not going to shoot, I mean, wouldn't he be better on a team with, which is surrounded by shooters? Would you give him now the avenue to penetrate and, and score at the rim or penetrate and shoot little floaters or maybe pull up from three to five feet or at very least show off some of his passing acumen? I think in terms of his knowledge of basketball, I think that he has a very high basketball IQ. The guy is 6'9", he's strong. I think he can become a better, I think he's a, already a very good defender. His main problem is he cannot fucking shoot. And we've seen time after time in the playoffs where that has become a huge liability for the 76ers, especially when you have Embiid on the floor. You can't have Embiid working on the floor doing his thing if you're having Ben Simmons on the court because that's just an automatic double team, especially when Joel is the type of guy who likes to play with the ball 7, 8, sometimes 10, 12 feet away from the basket. I've said this before. Joel is incredibly talented, but damn, this guy, if anybody should be able to try and master some form of semblance to the skyhook, it should be Joel Embiid. If I'm the 76ers, I I don't know, I beg, plead, throw a whole lot of cash at Kareem, that save for one summer. Now don't go down to Elijah's camp. Pete Newell is no longer with us, so he no longer runs the big man camp. Shaq used to go there and other big men in Hawaii in the offseason for a long time, big, uh, Pete Newell ran his big man camp, and the pros would go down there and learn some moves, the drop step and the jump hook and all those type of things. But So Pete Newell is no longer with us. Akeem does his thing down in Houston where he has big men come down. Kobe Bryant went down there for a little bit and learned some low post moves and learned a low post game. But if I'm the Philadelphia 76ers, before I go talk to Akeem, I talk to Kareem and say, hey, man, how much money do you need to spend – three weeks, two weeks, or whatever, just formulating a game plan, teaching the Skyhook or some semblance of the Skyhook to Joel Embiid and let him do that. I don't. The, the move is so difficult, and the move is so skilled. You have to be so skilled in terms of learning that shot. I, I think something that we kind of 
we, we kind of don't take into account when we talk about why hasn't anybody learned the skyhook. Kareem started using that skyhook back when he was like 11 or 12 years old. This was something to where he didn't start trying to do a skyhook when he was 18, 20, 22, 24 years old. I mean, this was something that he practiced from the time that he first picked up a basketball. So by the time that he perfected the skyhook, not only are you talking about the greatest basketball player who ever lived, I'm talking about not just NBA basketball player, but basketball player who ever lived when, in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. By the time he got to the Milwaukee Bucks as Lou Alcindor and then moving on to the L.A. Lakers in 75 as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I mean, he had already been using that move on a consistent basis for, what, 15, 20 years? So for us to think that, you know what, Joel Embiid can be taught how to do the skyhook, I think it's ridiculous. But if there was just some way that Kareem could teach him some semblance of a jump hook, skyhook type of deal, it would help out Joel Embiid immensely because, man, he, he, he could be so dominant. But then again, he likes to catch the ball and face up a lot of the times. You're seven feet tall, Joel. The face-up game that you use right now with the crossover between your legs to step back and all that kind of stuff and pretending like you're a 6'7 small forward, now, that stuff should be used 5 to 8% of the time. You should shoot the three-point shot maybe two to three times a game. The rest of the time, get your African ass in the paint and learn, to, learn a jump hook, learn a drop step, learn an up and under, learn a Kevin McHale. Do those type of things, man. Become a real big man. You're the only one in the league right now who can become a vintage, old-school, effective big man. Steven Adams can't do it from an offensive standpoint. He doesn't have the talent to do it. There's no other big seven-foot big man in the league that can do what you do. Not Andre Drummond, not Steven Adams, nobody. Absolutely, positively, nobody. So, man, learn some, learn some low post moves back to the basket moves from like six, seven feet out and stop getting the ball about 10, 12 feet away from the basket and then facing up and then trying to do like a, a crossover between the legs type of nonsense, fadeaway jump shot. Stop. Stop. It drives me nuts when he does that. Again, I'm not saying completely throw that away, but that should be used minimally in a game. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace on this podcast. So glad that you could be with us. So again, speaking about the NBA and speaking about, you know, some teams that are doing, what do the Philadelphia 76ers do? Do they, is there anybody out there that they can go ahead? I mean, they already made the moves. This is the team that they have going forward. Al Horford, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Jason Richardson, and uh, Embiid, Simmons, Harris, Horford, Richardson. I mean, those are the guys that you're counting on for you to win an NBA championship. That's it. You sign Richardson, you sign Horford, big deal moves. You sign Tobias Harris, you re-sign him. You locked up Ben Simmons for a while. You already have Embiid under contract. This is it. This is it for you guys, at least for this season. So what do you do? What exactly do you do? And again, the offense that they played or the game that they played against Boston on Thursday, it was brilliant. It was lovely because the lane was open, rip-roaring, ready to go. Horford moved back to more of his, I think, natural position as far as being a center is concerned. I think at the age that Horford is in right now, you're not going to ask him to play heavy minutes at the center position, not what you got him beat for. But, you know, I think Horford playing 20, 25 minutes at the center position is really a great deal for the 76ers. Never 
should the 76ers be on the court without at least some semblance of Simmons, Embiid, and Horford. Somehow, someway, one of those three always have, has to stay on the court. But going forward for the 76ers, I think it's all up to Embiid. I really do. I think it's all up to Embiid. He wants to be the face of the franchise. He wants to be the man. You can't be the man. You can't be the face of the franchise with the inconsistent mentality that you have. And that relationship you have in terms of the on-court relationship that you have with Ben Simmons and trying to make it work, I don't know what you do because Ben Simmons is not going to become a three-point shooter. Ben Simmons, we, we should stop talking about, come on, Ben, shoot. Come on, Ben, shoot. The man is not going to shoot. The man basically is saying, fuck you, I'm not going to shoot. So the Eastern Conference, man, I still think when everything is all said and done, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, and even such teams as the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors, it's going to make for a pretty interesting and enjoyable Eastern Conference playoff. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I had to stretch a little bit. I've got to get my fat ass in the gym. Good Lord, have mercy. Mm. Excuse me. <clears throat> got a little cold. I'm fighting a little cold. It's almost over. But, man, i got to get my fat ass in the gym. I just sat down to continue um, talking talking about what's going on in the world of sports, and I did the old man grunt as I sat down. I did the, oh, boy. So, yeah, have to uh, have to get to the gym. I went to see uh, somebody who I used to work with, get, my, get some of my financial situations straightened out, get a game plan for her, and I went to see a female who I used to work with when I was uh, doing collections, and uh, the girl's gorgeous. I'm sorry, she's not a girl. She's a woman. The woman is absolutely gorgeous. Just, just gorgeous. I remember her being gorgeous. I hadn't seen her in years. Facebook friends. She went MIA. She went, she went dark in terms of social media. So, you know, I wasn't working. So I lost contact and all that kind of stuff with her for a few years. And, you know, she's doing credit stuff and this, that, and the other. So I want some stuff done with my credit. So I went over and saw her for the first time in a while. And again, I just remember her just being absolutely gorgeous, just gorgeous, a beautiful body, this, that, and the other. You wouldn't think that she had three kids. She was married to three kids. I mean, congratulations to the husband, but you better treat her right. You better not let her go anywhere unless she's, unless she's a psychopath behind closed doors in terms of being a real bitch or whatever. I mean, I would not let her go. I mean, how many banks do you want me to rob to keep you happy? That type of female, that type of uh, attractiveness, but um, I was talking to her and, you know, she's starting this business. And at the end of the meeting, I was like, you know, I'm glad to see that you're doing well and uh, starting to get some clients in here. And, you know, she was like, yeah, I just hope that it will grow and this, that, and the other. I was like, don't worry about it. You will have no problem. First of all, you're on social media. You are promoting your business on social media and everything else. So you don't have to worry about getting opportunities to get clients because you are absolutely gorgeous. 
So as far as clients are concerned, as, as far as potential clients, you don't have to worry about that. Now, once you get an opportunity to show your worth or when, when you get an opportunity to, you know, show them what you've got in terms of how they can help you, I mean, that'll be another situation. But just in terms of getting people, especially men, to come in and say, hey, can you help me out? Uh, you're definitely not going to be having problems to do that because the girl is just, damn, I keep saying girl. The woman is just absolutely gorgeously sexy and uh, good meeting though it was a good meeting all the way around good for the eyes good for the brain good to see her again nice nice woman very nice woman so it was a good thing i was just thinking about that as i was thinking about getting my fat ass in the shape not that i'm looking to you know snag anybody who looks like that but i'm just thinking about beauty and gorgeous body and thinking to myself i need to uh, i need to get a lot better wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us okay 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 enough of that getting back to what i'm talking about western conference eastern conference basketball teams in the nba 40 36 games into the season moving now to the western conference doggone those damn los angeles lakers just watch them blow out the dallas mavericks tonight They've won now seven straight after losing four straight. LeBron James is still a top three MVP candidate, averaging 25 points per game, almost 11 assists, eight rebounds, playing 35 minutes a night. And get this, for the first time in, I don't know, what, five, six years maybe, the man is actually playing defense. Gee, how about that, huh? How about that? How much longer can he play at this pace? Look, LeBron is 39, 35 years old. He's played about... 15,235,444 minutes in his career. It's a lot of minutes. He does, he's a superhuman genetic freak of an athlete. How much longer can he keep up this pace? He's played in 36 to 41 games. He hasn't missed any games because of quote-unquote load management. If you're the Lakers brass, if you're the Lakers organization, if you're Frank Vogel, and if you're even LeBron James, you're playing again 35 minutes a night. You're 35 years old. We got to get yourselves ready for the playoffs going forward here in a couple of months. How much longer do we play you at this pace before we start saying, you know what, I'm back to back before we Kawhi Leonard you? And look, I'm, I know that might be a blow to the man's pride and his ego and everything, but look, man, we're trying to win a championship, okay? And we're not going to be winning a championship in February. We're not going to be winning a championship in March. Look, I know it sucks. I know it's horrible. I know it's terrible. You would love to play 48 minutes a night, 82 games. But, man, you're not 24 years old anymore. You're not 26 years old anymore. You're not 31 years old anymore. You're very old in terms of playing 35 years old, even for someone like LeBron. And you could, you could see it. The way that he plays now, you can tell the genius of him, of how he plays basketball now. The fact that he's relying more on Anthony Davis, even though he has to take a bigger role in this situation now since Davis is going to be missing a couple of games because of an injury. But you can see right now that he's become more of a playmaker and he's letting the people around him uh, make plays and do things. Now, yes, when he needs to be LeBron James, he can become LeBron James, but the days of LeBron James being the vintage LeBron James for a consistent amount of time, those days are over. Those days are done. He doesn't have to be that anymore. He doesn't have to be the physical freak that he was when he was 28, 32, 30, I mean 30, uh, 31 years old anymore. But you can tell by the fact that he's averaging 11 assists. You can, you can just tell. 
that uh, you know he's he's pacing himself in terms of being smart and being intelligent as far as mastering the game and how to play the game and get the most out of the game to be the most effective. You can see the fact of the he's settling now for a lot more three point shots. You can see the explosiveness when he goes to the rim. It's not like it was. Back in his younger days, he's not yoking on anybody anymore. Now he's pump faking. Now he's going up for layups. Now he's using his left hand. Now he's doing those other things. He's become a much better basketball player. Even when he was at his athletic best, he was still a fantastic basketball player. But as his physical skills begin to erode and diminish, you can see the evolution, the uh, um, the, the the heightness of him as a thinking basketball player. It happened with Michael Jordan when all of a sudden he developed the fadeaway jumper. It, it happened with Kobe Bryant when he developed a very good back-to-the-basket moves. It, it, it happens to all the, the great players. And just like Tim Duncan when he decided to hand over the reins of the offense to younger guys like Manu and Tony Parker or when Kareem finally said after the 1986 season that, you know what, I'm going to hand the keys over to uh, Magic Johnson and let him start averaging over 22, 23 points a game and I'll be the guy that rides on his coattails. I think LeBron is in the process right now of saying, you know what, Anthony, it's about time now as I move forward that you're going to be the guy whose coattails I'm going to ride on. And, 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 that's not a, and that's not a bad thing. And I'm not saying that LeBron is coasting or anything like that, but I just think that LeBron is saying, I can't be the LeBron that I was before because I'm doggone 35, 36, 37, 38 years old as we move on with this relationship between him and the Lakers. I can't do what I did because I'm a human being. I'm a genetic freak, but I'm still a human being. So I'm going to need somebody. Oh, Gabrielle Dennis is back on the television screen. Man, that's a good looking woman. Okay, as I was mentioning before, LeBron, yeah, I, I can't do what I did before. So, AD, I'm going to need you night in and night out to be that guy. And I'm going to shift my genius as a basketball player in other ways. So, the spectacular. I mean, LeBron can still dunk on you if he needs to. LeBron can still do some incredible athletic things when he needs to. But he's just not going to do them as often. And he's not going to do them as well as he did when he was younger, but that still doesn't mean that, again, at 25 points per game, 11 assists, he's probably probably going to lead the league in assists. 11 assists and 8 rebounds per game, that still doesn't mean that he is not a formidable basketball player in his 17th year. Anthony Davis, the injury, he's dealing with a gluteus maximus contusion following a hard fall on Tuesday against the New York Bricks Knicks. He's joining the Lakers on the team's two-game road trip, and he may be able to play the next time. He didn't play tonight against Dallas, but in the next game, he'll be able to play. So can the Lakers, I guess, moving forward, can they Can they win a championship now? Because, you know, I was mentioning about LeBron, and I said before, hey, you know, I mean, he's not the physical player that riding Anthony Davis's coattails, blah, blah, blah. What I mean by that also is, and I mentioned this before, everybody assumes that, you know, once the playoffs start and we start thinking about the the, the, the matchups and we start thinking about the teams that are going to be in the playoffs and we start naming teams like the Denver Nuggets and the Clippers and the Houston Rockets and uh, the Utah Jazz and those type of teams, right? And you think to yourselves, well, 
Yeah, even to say the Lakers, and this was before the season started, let's just say because of chemistry issues, trying to get to know each other, feeling out Frank Vogel, the coach, and setting that dynamic and learning. I mean, Vogel didn't choose Jason Kidd or Lionel Holland, so it's going to take some time for even the coaches to get to know each other in terms of their coaching tendencies and such. So those relationships are going to have to take some time. So let's just say, for instance, the Lakers used that regular season. Also, the load management. We don't know what's going to be happening with LeBron. We don't know what's going to be happening with AD. Danny Green is a year older. We don't know about how Kyle Kuzma is going to fix. We don't know or fit. We don't know what's going to be happening with Dwight Howard, but how much he's going to give, how much JaVale McGee is going to give. We don't know how much Rondo has left. All of these questions going into the regular season, we didn't know. We didn't know, so it was wide open in terms of are the Lakers going to be the best team in the league because they have two of the 10 best players on the court every night, or are they going to be a team maybe fighting for first-round home court uh, home court advantage because of some of the things that I just mentioned, the age, the injury, the chemistry, learning each other, new pieces, all of these things. What, what is it going to be? Well, so far it's been that, you know what? The Lakers are, have, have been absolutely fantastic. Again, the best record in the Western Conference, playing well. But moving forward, how long is this going to be? Now, we thought that maybe by the time we got to Christmas, we could get a better idea of which, which direction the Lakers are going to be going, plateauing or ascending. It seems to be that they're still ascending. But, you know, again, look. Everybody is susceptible to injury, without question. So you can say the same thing about the Clippers. What happens if Kawhi Leonard gets injured? You can say the same thing about the Bucks. What happens if Giannis gets injured? You can say that about any. Look at the Golden State Warriors with you know the injuries to Clay and, and, and Steph and how that sabotaged their season, even though kept losing Kevin Durant also played a big role. Take a look at the New Jersey Nets, or excuse me, the Brooklyn Nets with the loss of Kyrie Irving. I didn't even get to them and the Indiana Pacers and such. I'll get to them a little bit later on on a, on a podcast. But, you know, injuries can happen to anybody. And so, we, so to say, well, what happened if the Lakers lose LeBron and AD? Well, of course they're going to not be as good. Of course, that's ridiculous. But you throw into the fact that we are speaking about a LeBron James who's 35 years old. You're speaking about a guy in Anthony Davis, as I mentioned before, is scheduled to miss a couple of games because of these injuries that he keeps having. Whether it be a, a, a rib, a finger, an ankle, a foot, a knee, a shoulder, it's always, it's always something. It's always something nagging with Anthony Davis. And now he's out again because of the gluteus maximus, because of the injury to his ass. So what is that going to mean for LeBron going forward? What does that mean for LeBron playing this much now heading into the month of uh, mid-January? What does all that mean? Are they still going to be this team in April that they are in January? Because, again, of the load management and all of those other things. Can the Lakers win a championship with the team that they have now? Rajon Rondo's old. Dwight Howard is old. Anthony Davis is somewhat injury prone. LeBron, even LeBron is old. Uh, Danny Green, as I mentioned before, is old. I mean, where's the youth? Where is the speed? Where is the athleticism on this team? Now, they could use another dependable three-point shooter from the wing. Would they trade Kyle Kuzma to do that? How much does that play a role into that? We will see. 
we will see. So, so far, so good. But as I mentioned before, just being cautious just a little bit with the Los Angeles Lakers and, and with LeBron. I mean, he's at the age, man, where we talked about this with Tom Brady. Now, look, LeBron ain't 42 years old. He hadn't played the sport of football. But yet still, we've talked about, look look how quickly Kobe Bryant went from being a really, really good basketball player for a guy who went from that to just being a sideshow. Or a guy who just, you know, was, was, was basically doing it just to say goodbye to everybody on a farewell tour. It became basically an irrelevant player in terms of leading a team to a championship or even a contender. Look how quickly Kobe Bryant went from one extreme to basically the other. What did that happen with LeBron? Maybe not to the degree of what Kobe did, but when does LeBron go from being top three, top four player in the NBA to maybe being top 15, top 16, or top 20? It's going to happen. The man can't play forever. The man ain't going to be 75 years old still doing what he's doing. I don't think. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that you could be with us. The Denver Nuggets, man. Watch that game against Dallas, what was it, Wednesday night? Jokic, Jokic put on a show, didn't he? Did you watch the game? Ah, you piece of shit. No, but in that game, Jokic was absolutely fantastic. But really, when you take a look at Denver, 25-11 and 11 at the time that I'm recording this, the, the record marks inconsistent play. You know, at one point in the season, they lost five or six games. Then they go out and win 10 of 13, but they lose to Houston 130-104. Then they go home and lose to New Orleans. Then they get rallied at Washington 128-114, where one of the players was sitting there saying, yeah, our problem was we just really didn't take that team seriously. Well, you're in the NBA. And even though the Wizards don't play a lick of defense, and even though they're not very good, you still have to go up there and show, you know, go out there and compete. And some of the players were saying during that game, we didn't compete. But... One thing that I'm loving about the Denver Nuggets is that their arrow is pointing up. And why is the arrow pointing up? Because Nikola Jokic is finally playing his way into shape. The first two months of the season, look, he was averaging 15 points a game. He was shooting 46% from the field, 22% from the three-point line. He was he was terrible. And it was kind of like, damn, what the hell happened to Jokic? I mean, we thought that he had kind of turned the corner in terms of what the importance should be in terms of what he does off the court in terms of being in shape. And we're not asking him to be a physical marvel. We're not asking him to have muscles on top of muscles like he's Lou Ferrigno or Lee Haney. But doggone it. I mean, we, we expect him to be in some kind of shape. Well, again, the first two months of the season, Nicola was doing a Shaquille O'Neal. You know what? I work on, if I'm going to be working out, I'm going to get paid for it. So I'm going to be using the game and being used on Denver Nuggets time when I'm being paid to get my way into shape. Did that for the first two months of the season. Now you take a look at what he's been doing in December and January. Now he's up to averaging 24 points a game, 52% shooting, and 33% on three-pointers. And before that game against Dallas, my man had 47 points against Atlanta the other night. So I like the Nuggets. I like the way they're playing. Jamal Murray is getting, very, is getting better. They have a defensive guy in Gary Harris. And I'm interested to see exactly what's going to be happening with Michael Porter Jr. If he's going to be getting... Look, I don't think Michael Porter Jr. is going to be a contributor in the playoffs. But Michael Porter Jr., MPJ, is a very important piece for the Nuggets during the regular season. Because, again, man, you're going to want to have these guys... And I know Denver has a very deep bench, but... You want to have these guys relatively 
relatively fresh going into the playoffs. Michael Porter Jr. in the dog days during the March Madness and during February can give maybe the team 8 to 10 to 12, 15 minutes a game and start to develop an average 6 to 7 to 8 points. Those, those, are, those are important roles. Those are important minutes. Those are important numbers. So I'm going to be interested to see. He had a really good night the other night against somebody who I forgot, but I think he was like 10 for 11 or 11 for 12, something really good. But his play has been, or his minutes, have been inconsistent. So let's see what Mike Malone, the head coach of the Nuggets, have in store for Michael Porter Jr. moving forward again as a bridge to help the starters get to the playoffs when the playoffs start in April. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Moving down to the Houston Rockets, 24 and 11. They are who we thought we, they were. They're the team that we thought they were for the past three or four years. They shoot a lot of threes. They play a little defense. They rely on James Harden to initiate the offense. Russell Westbrook still plays like Russell Westbrook with diminished returns. Had a good game the other night against Oklahoma City. But again, I, I, I just, <clears throat> they're, they're a situation where what's going to be happening with them moving forward? If you're Daryl Morey, um, if, you better hope, if you still want to be employed by the Houston Rockets, you better hope that they get at least to the Western Conference Finals or at least they're only going to make it to the semifinals. You better make sure that they play a really, really, really tough uh, series against a team like the Lakers or the Clippers because I'm quite sure the Fertitas, whatever Fertitta owns that, that squad, I'm quite sure that he's not very happy with the money that he's lost by that tweet that Morey sent out concerning about the protesters in Hong Kong and pissing off China and stuff. So, I mean, if the Rockets don't do what they're supposed to do or they don't reach expectations, I mean, now you've got grounds for dismissal if you're the ownership group of the Houston Rockets on Daryl Morey. So he better hope that his team plays well. I don't know, with Mike D'Antoni coming in one year left on his contract, they didn't renew him. They didn't bring back Jeff Bezdilic, who helped with the defense. And now you got Russell Westbrook and you got James Harden still. I mean, some days they're really good and some days they're eh. And they're still learning each other. So the Houston Rockets going forward, interesting. The Los Angeles Clippers, 26 and 12. Four and a half games behind the Lakers for the number one spot in the Western Conference. A game behind the Denver Nuggets. They're tied for third with the Houston Rockets. They're a half game behind Utah for the fifth spot. Two and a half games ahead of Dallas for the number six spot. Inconsistent, really, throughout the season. Now, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard hadn't gotten the opportunity, really, to play a lot of games with each other. The longest winning streak of the season was seven from November 16th to uh, November 27th. There was the four-game winning streak that they had between December 8th and the 13th. But, you know, other than that, it's just been sort of kind of, eh, Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul George really haven't set the world on fire. I mean, there's been games where George has really been poor as far as shooting is concerned. They had stretches where, yeah, they beat the Lakers twice. They beat Toronto twice. They had one of the best games I've seen this season from a contending team and beating the Dallas Mavericks when they did 114-99. That was a game they got serious about. That was a game that they really wanted to prove a point, especially to Luka Doncic, I thought. They did a great job of doing that, held him. They're probably the worst game of the season so far. Uh, speaking about Doncic in that game against the Clippers, he was he was awful, and the Dallas got blown out. But they they sandwiched in performances like I just mentioned with the Lakers, the Raptors, and the Mavericks. 
Then they lose at home to teams like Memphis. They recently beat the New York Knicks 135-132. They lost at Chicago 109-106. They've already lost at Houston twice, who they might see in the playoffs. I, I, I understand that Doc is out there, and I know you know he's a coach, and he has shown that when he was the coach of Orlando Magic and he had a young team, and they overachieved. With them, they played more like with Daryl Armstrong and Tracy McGrady was the main guy, and a couple of other a couple of other uh, young guys and such that he can he can push, and he can pull, and he can push buttons to get guys to play hard all the time. But then he made that transition from being that type of coach when he was with the Magic to being a coach who really enjoyed coaching veteran squads like what he had in Boston. And then he tried to move over and do that with the Clippers in their acquisition of Chris Paul, along with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and such. But I think this team right now, he's more of like, look, you know, I've got to load manage Kawhi. You know, I'm bringing in Paul slowly because of his injury history, not just with the knee, but also with the off-season shoulder surgery that he had. So this is a team that is still gelling and getting to try to know each other. Patrick Beverly has been out at some time. George and Leonard didn't play their first game together until November 20th against Boston, and that was game 15. So we're not even, so they're still trying to learn each other. I mean, Leonard has played in 28 or 38 games. He's averaging 25 points in 32 minutes. I don't too much worry about him. He's still one of the two best way players in the league, but that knee is chronic. And I'm not talking about Snoop or Dr. Dre as far as the album is concerned. I mean, that knee that he has is uh, something that's not going to go away. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can sit there and moan and complain. And I guess he's been one of the poster boys now for load management. But Kawhi's not playing 82 games anymore. Kawhi is not playing back-to-backs on a regular basis anymore. Not because he doesn't want to. It's because when you're in the Los Angeles Clippers and you're paying that man 30-something million dollars, you're not paying him 30-something million dollars to be a great regular season team. We're paying him that type of money to bring us championships. And don't worry about Steve Ballmer. He's got a couple of billion dollars in the bank times 10 or 20. He'll be all right. But the load management is necessary for Kawhi because even last year when he was you know, he would manage very well. His minutes were managed very well by the Toronto Raptors. You still saw Kawhi hobbled coming to the finish line for the Toronto Raptors. And this is also two seasons removed where he was injured and only played in nine games for the San Antonio Spurs. So I don't think Kawhi is resting. I don't think he has the load management of, say, of what Popovich was doing with a Tim Duncan or a Manu or a Tony Parker back in the day. I just think this is a situation where, look, you know, Kawhi's knee can only withstand X amount of minutes. X amount of minutes in X amount of games. And I think that they've been doing that wisely. And when he's playing, he's averaging 32 points, 32 minutes per game. And when the playoffs start, he's going to be averaging a whole lot more. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Moving on. Moving on. Who do we got next? Who do we got next? Because we... Talked about the Clippers and the Lakers. We talked about the Rockets. Ah, man. The Utah flipping jazz, baby, 24 and 12. They've won 10 of the past 11 games. Only one victory in that span was with the team that is over 500. Look, they beat the Clippers on the road, 120-107. They beat the Knicks, the Magic, the Pelicans, Chicago, Detroit, Portland, Charlotte, Atlanta. Whoop the flipping damn do. Donovan Mitchell 
Is he gonna make the, he should make I understand that it's a voting contest and I understand that they only they only put in two backcourt players and that's pretty much where James Harden and Luka Doncic is gonna be taking all the votes from. But I tell you one thing, man, Donovan Mitchell should get some serious consideration if it was really true to be a starter in the All-Star game. I know that he's not, because when it comes to that, it's mostly a popularity contest, but he's been playing some really good basketball, averaging close to 24 points a game. Rudy Gobert is still the best defender in the game at the rim, very good rebounder. Bogdan Bogdanovic, averaging 20 points per game. His career average is only 13, so he stepped it up. I guess the main thing has been, what the fuck's going on with Mike Connolly? Because he's been a huge disappointment. I thought this was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to lift the Utah Jazz from pretenders to contenders when we're talking about, no, 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 no. Not just the Western Conference Championship. I'm talking about the NBA Championship. When people were talking about how excited they were for this season to start, and they were talking about the parody, and they would name off the teams who would have a realistic shot of winning the championship, they named the Utah Jazz as one of those teams, and the main reason why they said the Utah Jazz was because of the acquisition of Mike Connolly and how much he was going to make Donovan Mitchell a much better player. That way, Donovan could play more of the natural position at the shooting forward, excuse me, the shooting guard, and then you add in guys like Joe Inglis and all these other guys, Rudy Gobert again being the being the foundation of their defense. I mean, and of course, you had the brilliance of Quinn Snyder, who was a what, top five, top six, top seven coach. He's right up there with Doc and Coach Popovich and Rick Carlisle and Brad Stevens and those guys. I mean, he's right up there in terms of a coach who can get the most out of his players' ability and put them in the best, response, best um, position to win. Why wouldn't you think when they got Mike Connolly? It's like, well, I mean, you know, great guy. High character, good player, best player never to make an all-star game. You know Quinn is going to be able to take him to the next level. My main deal was, okay, what type of responsibility were you looking from Mike Connolly to give when he got acquired? My only question with that was, he's a classic point guard. And were you going to be asking this guy to be more of a scorer, how much of a facilitator he was going to be, how much that was going to be blended in? Because I don't know if he was going to be a guy that was going to be able to give you anywhere between 19 and 22 points a game for 73, 75 games. But this season so far, he's been terrible. And now that he's out of the lineup with a hamstring injury, Donovan Mitchell has been playing his best basketball of his career from the point guard position to the point now where it's almost like, hey, man, do we move it forward? What do we do with this guy? Move it forward. What exactly do we do with Mike Connolly? I'm, you know, I don't know. Is he going to be able to work it out? Is he going to be able to get better? I mean, is he, is he going to be able to fit? One thing we know about Quinn Snyder, which makes him such an excellent coach, is the fact that, you know what, man? One of the great things is that the Utah Jazz always get better. They always do, and they always make a great run. And so you have to maybe take into account that maybe when Connolly comes back, maybe near the end they'll figure out a way to uh, get it done because Mike Connolly is going to be needed if the Utah Jazz are truly going to be going after championship aspirations. To Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. We are moving. We are grooving. Speaking about the Dallas Mavericks, season of Luka, 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 moved into the position of becoming 
a generational superstar at the age of 20. Oh my goodness gracious, Luca took Kobe, took Dirk, KD, Kyrie. You know, it took all those guys more time to advance to where Luca is right now in terms of being a, a great basketball player. We think because Kobe played, seemed like Kobe played 85 years with the Los Angeles Lakers, that he came into the league and just set it on fire. He came in with a lot of hype, especially after the second season when. The Laker brass made the decision that no, that Eddie Jones was no longer going to be starting and Kobe Bryant was going to be coming off the bench. But uh, you got to remember, man, Kobe's soft, uh, freshman season in the NBA, he averaged, what, 7.5, 7.6 points per game, something like that. It took him three, four years maybe to become the Kobe Bryant that we all know and love. You know, number eight, the skinny number eight with the fro and the, and the pseudo goatee. The guy who at age 21 told the... Indianapolis Pacers that I got this and told the guys on the bench in overtime when Shaq fouled out where he had a couple of foul line jumpers and he ran back down to the other court and he said, calm down. He made the hand gesture to say, calm down. I got this. I'm cool. You know, it took Kobe a little bit of time before he became the Kobe that we all know and love. Luca is already there. Again, Kevin Durant, as great as he was, Dirk Nowitzki, as great as he became, all of these guys, they were not as good as Luca. I mean, the only people, Magic, Bird, Jordan, Timmy T, Timmy D came into the league with the Spurs when he was 22, so that doesn't even count. So, yeah, man, I understand look, I understand all of the hoopla surrounding Luca. I just thank the holy heaven, and I just thank the good Lord above that Luca Doncic's name isn't uh Luke Duncan from St. Louis, Missouri, because, ooh, Lord have mercy. Could you imagine an American white boy playing this good? Oh, my goodness. People would be losing their minds. You think the NBA would be, you think the NBA is suffering and all this kind of stuff? Imagine the NBA getting themselves a white superstar for what, the first time since Larry Bird retired? I mean, a real superstar. I'm not talking about Gordon Hayward or Steve Nash. I'm talking about an American superstar who's a white boy. Could you imagine? First of all, the league offices would be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas. I mean, you know, they would be they would be doing the they'd be doing the boogaloo and they'd be, you know, they'd be cheering like no other. But man, Luca has been awesome. So I just think the man is Serbian, or I just think the man is not from this country, because of this skin, his skin color, you put him in the NBA with all them black guys, woo-wee, man, this society, and they would lose their mind, boy. They're, they're, they, would, they would finally have a real reason to watch the NBA. Them, them, them white folks up there in the suburbs and the rich folks and all that kind of stuff who think the NBA is too black and they don't want to see these guys with the tattoo and the cornrows and the ebonics and all this other nonsense and all this other ignorance and all this other stupidity and, and racist views, especially in the society that we live in today with the piece of shit, conning, racist, lying, corrupt asshole that we have as a president right now and how, had he, and how he has unearthed his legions of ignorant, racist minions. To see Luka Doncic, if he was a white American, come into the league and do as well as he did, oh man, that would be something else, boy. We'd never hear the end of it. So the season of Luka has been great. As I mentioned before, moving forward, can the Mavericks build a championship around this guy? What can they do to build a championship contender around this guy? That's my question. 
It starts with the relationship he can have with Christoph Porzingis. Now, we mentioned before, I mentioned before, I talked about the relationship between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. How is that going to work? Not just for this year. Can they last long-term the way that, we, the way that they play basketball? For Luca and Christoph, Christoph, for those two, it's not as complicated. I mean, Christoph can be a fantastic once he fully recovers from his ACL surgery. Not going to uh, you know sit there. This season for him, it's all about gaining confidence. This season for Christoph is just you know building that need, building that confidence, mentally building that confidence to know that you know you can come back and be not just the same, but even better and continue the progress that you were making before you had that ACL injury with the New York Knicks. So this season is just getting that confidence, getting that mentality back in there. But moving forward, that's where it starts. That's where if you're the Dallas Mavericks and you're Rick Carlisle and you're the Nelson boys and this, that, and the other, that's where you come and you say, all right, cool. We got two pieces. I think that we can build a championship on. And the great thing is the way Kristoff has been, or excuse me, the way that Luca has been, and you take a look at his trajectory, you know what? We don't even need to see the Kristoff that we thought that we would see year five, six, and seven when it came to Kristoff when he was with the New York Knicks. The way that he was progressing and developing with the Knicks, we thought, man, this could be a guy, or you're speaking about one or two years in, this could be a guy where, you know, when he's 25, 26, 27 years old, I mean, this guy could be the guy that could be the man to lead themselves to a championship. Now that he's with the Dallas Mavericks and he's playing with someone like Luka Doncic, guess what? He doesn't have to be that guy. He doesn't, we don't need him. And we can get Kristoff being, what, 70? 70% of what we thought that he could become? We have a chance to win a championship because we have a generational great like Luka Doncic. So when people are starting to talk about, man, can Kristoff get back to what he was with the Knicks or can he get back to the progress that he was making or reach the potential that we thought he was going to be when he's going to be 25, 26, 27 years old? Is Kristoff ever going to get back to those type of you know, goals? Are those going to be realistic? It doesn't have to be now because of Luka, he doesn't have to be that. So moving forward, there we go now. Mr. Porzingis has missed the last five games because of a leg injury, and the Mavericks have gone two and three without him, and now they're two and four without him with the loss to the Lakers. But yeah, moving forward, man, I I, I think it's going to be too much, much to ask when we're talking about this season with the Mavericks. You don't go as bad as they were to being contenders against the Clippers or the Lakers. And we've seen in games so far. Now, I know they beat the Lakers at home on a Sunday where LeBron was very upset with the team's performance against the Mavericks. So the Lakers have won two or three games. One of the games they won in overtime. Again, the Mavericks beat them at home on, I mean, on, the, on the Lakers floor. And then tonight, the Lakers went out and blew them out. But in a seven-game series, I think this is a situation if the Mavericks do get the opportunity, even to play a team like, say, for instance, the Utah Jazz, if they can continue to improve under Quinn Snyder, which he's done with the Jazz, as I mentioned before, the last couple of years, or maybe the Houston Rockets. I think that it, the, the, the jump to do what Larry Bird did 
when he was with the Boston Celtics, where he took a morbid franchise his first year, turned them around, I think a 26-27 game improvement, and then the second season, he won a championship in the 81 season, in 81 playoffs going against the Houston Rockets of Bill Fitch and Moses Nelone. So I think that would be too much for the for the Larry Bird of this generation, Luka Doncic, to do that. I like that. I like that comparison because they all say, hey, man, to all the kids out there, this, that, and the other, who are like 24 and younger, all these thoughts and the feelings about the young, the old heads, what we have about Larry Bird. If Larry Bird was born in 1996 or 1998 or 2000, this is what Larry Bird would look like. This is Larry Bird, Luka Doncic, Larry Bird 2.0. So moving forward, I've never really got that. I mean, he's a, I, I, I see a lot of, you know what, when I take a look at Luka, I see a lot of Nikola Jokic in him. If you watch those two guys play, I also see a little bit of Kawhi Leonard. And let me explain to you what I mean by that before I go on and finish up my NBA talk with the um, with the Oklahoma Thunder. When I say that Luka reminds me a lot of Kawhi and reminds me a lot of Nikola Jokic who plays for the Denver Nuggets, I see that because there's a certain amount of patience to his game. There's a certain amount of uh, being methodical to their game. Luka is never going to be that athlete. I mean, he loves LeBron. He's never going to be LeBron because he doesn't have the outer-worldly athleticism that LeBron has. Luka is not going to be great because of his athletic gifts, which is fantastic because when he's 34 and 35 years old and his physical skills start to diminish, even though they'll start diminishing when he's 30, 31 years old, it doesn't matter because the guy has such otherworldly genius when it comes to playing basketball is really not going to make that much difference. But if you take a look at him, everything is so doggone deliberate. He gets to where he wants to get to on the floor to make a shot, to make a pass, to make a play. He does that with so much, with so deliberate. It looks like Nikola Jokic. It looks like Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi, as I mentioned before, I always had this comparison with him where he gets to where he wants to go. He gets to where he wants to go, and then <clears throat> he'll just do his thing. And no one's going to stop him from getting there. And he's not doing it with uber-athleticism. He's doing it with smarts. He's doing it with fundamentals. He's doing it with footwork. That's the same thing that all the great players. Oscar Robertson, that was what, what they used to say about Oscar Robertson, that he would stick his big ass in front of the guy who was guarding him and back his way down right to where he wanted to go, and he would rise and he would shoot, or he would make a play, or he would do something. So that's the same thing with Kawhi. He's not, he doesn't have a big ass, so he's not putting his big ass. If he had a big ass in front of somebody, he's not doing that. But he's like, look, I'm going to get to that spot on the court, and I'm just going to go over here, and I'm just going to do it. Same thing with Nikola Jokic. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to back in. I'm going to back in. I'm going to pump. I'm going to shot fake. I'm going to ball fake. I'm going to do all these things and go into the basket. That's the same thing with Luka. I'm going to Euro. I'm going to step back. I'm going to use the angles. I'm going to use ball fakes. I'm going to use all of these fundamental things. And I'm not doing it at 100 miles per hour. I'm not doing it with the ooh-ah athleticism. I'm just getting very deliberately to where I want to get to. A dunk and a layup still count as two things, two points. So that's the one thing where I say Jokic and Kawhi 
when I'm talking about Luka Doncic in terms of what I see, some of the skills and some of the ways that they play the game are similar. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, man, how about the Oklahoma City Thunder, huh? Second best record in the league since November, since December 1st. Only behind Milwaukee at 13-4. Billy Donovan, man, give that man some serious consideration for Coach of the Year. And Chris Paul is playing like he really wants to get out of uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. In the 15th season, he's averaging 16 points, five rebounds, five and a half assists, one and a half steals. He's been a great mentor to St. Gilgis Alexander. And the only reason why I say that, I don't mean that as a joke to say he's trying to get his way out of um, Oklahoma City. He's not doing it the Jimmy Butler way when he was with Minnesota. He's not doing it the Anthony Davis way when he was with New Orleans. He's not doing it that way in terms of he's not trying to do it the Kevin Love way where he's trying to show up as coach and embarrass his coach and his team. He's not doing it that way. He's doing it by saying, hey, yeah, look, I know that near the end of this contract, I'm going to be making 40-something million dollars. I understand that I'm going to be 36, 37, 38 years old, and I know that I have a lot of money, and I know my contract ain't the greatest. But if uh, you're the Miami Heat, wink, wink, if you're one of these teams who you feel is one player away from winning a championship, I can still do that. I can still be that guy. You know, I can still play ball. And again, he has been absolutely fantastic for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And another team, what do you do? They got multiple draft picks when they made that trade with the Clippers and said Paul George. So what do you do moving forward with that with the Oklahoma City Thunder? Do you maybe think about adding a veteran presence? Or do you cash in your chips now with someone like a, a Gallinari whoever, who are coming off of, a, who are who have one year left on their contract and you try to, again, improve building around Shea Gilgis-Alexander? Do you have someone like a Dennis Schroeder? Do you let him go because you know that he's not part of your long-term plans? What do you do in that situation? So at the trade deadline comes, it will be interesting to see about that. So, yeah, man, went through some of my stuff. <sighs> Ding! I went through all the teams that I want to talk about. Uh, in the Eastern and Western Conference. Very interested to see what's going to be happening moving forward now. But the football season winding down, the NBA taking center stage. It's going to be interesting to see what my Halle Berry, what my Jada Fire, what my Monica Bellucci, what my Selma Hayek, what, what my Gabrielle Dennis is going to be looking like moving forward. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, mainly been talking about the NBA, I want to get myself caught up in the NBA. I'm going to try to do a podcast, I haven't really mentioned anything about the college football playoffs, that's going to be on Monday. I've got one more podcast left in me, I do, I really, really, really do, because there's some other things that I want to talk about that I said I was going to talk about, but we're moving on to the two-hour mark, so I'm going to kind of hurry up and get out of here because I got to go, go meet some meet somebody and uh, have some fun 
So there's some things such as the LeBron James topic. I'll get to that later. Uh, let me see what else am I going to be looking at here. There's a couple of stories that I want to talk about. Not really centering on sports. It's just something that I saw that caught my attention. That I wanted to give you my thoughts and opinions about. It can wait. It has a shelf life of a lot longer. So I'll save that for later. My next podcast, I guess, will be Monday. Because as I mentioned before, I'm going to be out of town on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. i got to make sure that uh, we're going to be taken care of in our elderly age. So I have to go ahead and educate the youth of America. So I'm going to be going 90 miles north up the road. And I don't really feel like going back and forth and waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Because high school starts at 6, 7 o'clock. I have to be there by about 6.30, which means I have to leave my house by about 5, 5, 10 till 5. So waking up at 4.30 is something that I really don't feel like doing three or four days next week. So I'm going to be staying up there at the hotel. Hey, 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 don't be coming near my house either. Just because I'm going to be gone, don't be coming in here. Don't be breaking into my house. Don't be eating my food. Don't be watching my television. Don't be stealing my stuff. All right? Don't even think about it. It's the reason why I don't let none of y'all know where I live. So don't, don't be, don't be coming over to my house. I got a gated community, and I got neighbors who will shoot your ass on spot. Damn right, damn right. So let me go ahead and get some shit over with, so I can get out of here and do my thing. I thank you very much for listening as long as you did. I very, very much appreciate it. Hey, really quickly, Blake Griffin is having possible knee surgery, season-ending knee surgery. He's going to visit the specialist to deal with his ailing left knee. And Blake has been limited to 18 games this season due to the injury. And he has surgery on the same knee in the offseason. And you know when I think about all this kind of stuff? You know the first person that pops in my head? Zion Williamson. That's been a player who's been compared to Griffin. And a guy who has a whole lot of weight, a guy who has a whole lot of girth, a guy who has a whole lot of explosiveness. How long can he transfer that weight with the type of game that he has? And when we talk about, well, you know, he needs to lose weight, how much are we talking about and what will that look like? Because it's not like Zion is fat. I mean, Zion, let's say, for instance, let's throw out a number right now. He's about two, let's say he's about 275. I don't think Zion can get down to 240 or 245. I don't think he can do what Corliss Williamson did when he went from Arkansas to play with the Sacramento Kings. He lost a whole bunch of weight. I don't think Zion has that in him. Or at least even if he tried to, I think that he would lose too much of his skills and lose a lot of his athleticism that made him great. So, no, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't, I don't know what Zion, I don't know what the appropriate weight for him to lose and I don't know what that would be in terms of him matching his explosiveness and his power and his game-changing type of athleticism if he drops to 250, 255. Now, I'm not saying that all of a sudden now he becomes just a decent athlete, but how much of that explosiveness, that power, that overwhelming power will he lose if he does lose weight? He's got to lose some weight. The question is going to be how much, and is it inevitable because of the girth, because of just the way his body is structured, there's a reason why we don't see too many big men who are in terms of 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", who are that that size, that weight, playing, having long NBA careers. 
I mean, LeBron is the exception. A lot of these guys, I mean, have foot problems, have knee problems. Yeah, because you're carrying around 250, 60, 70 pounds. Again, they're not seven feet tall. They're not 6'10". They're not 6'11". You're talking about guys who are 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". Not very much. James Johnson, or there's been a whole lot of NBA players who even at 240, 245, 250 has had foot and knee problems. And they haven't had close to the athleticism and the explosiveness and the type of power and the type of passion and the type of motor that Zion Williamson plays with. How long can Zion keep that up? Is he going to be like Blake Griffin to where you know, you only see spurts after the age of 26 and 27 of what Zion was. And the league is banking on this guy. The league is counting on this guy to be that guy that's going to be one of the players that the casual fan is going to want to watch in November or in January during the dog days when football season's over, when we're in between the Super Bowl and March Madness. And March Madness only lasts for a couple of weekends. So Zion's going to be that guy that's going to be counted on, have that responsibility to, no, I'm not going to say save the league, but elevate the league. So his injury is going to be what derails him. So it'll be interesting to see that. But that's the first thing I thought about when I saw the injury with uh, Blake Griffin, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, John Beeline apologizes for calling cast players thugs in film session. In a film session, Agent Wojnarowski reported that. Uh, let me see. He wrote that Beeline understood the racial connotations of what he said and reached out to players individually to explain he misspoke when he said that they were no longer playing like a bunch of thugs during the session. What he was quoted as saying was, "Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say that you're playing." You're not playing like a bunch of slugs. Okay. <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't mean, at least I didn't realize that I had said the word thugs. But my staff told me later I did, so I must have said, I, I so I must have said it. I meant to say slugs as it's slow moving. We weren't playing hard before, and now we're playing harder. I meant it as a compliment. I've never heard someone saying the word thug as a compliment, especially when we're talking about a room full of black players, but okay. That's what I was trying to say. I've already talked to eight of my players tonight, and they are telling me that they understand. No, they don't understand. They're saying, we don't want to hear it. Bullshit. How do you, it's almost like when you're drunk, and you start throwing out racial slurs and all that kind of stuff, and you start saying really stupid stuff and your excuses. Well, you know, I'm, I, that, that's not really me. I was just really drunk. Now, you know, alcohol, as we know, is truth serum. So, I really don't believe what John Beeline said in terms of, oops, I'm sorry, I meant to say slugs. That Okay, I'm not going to even get into that. John Beeline has enough problems in terms of his credibility with his players. Look, Brian Windhorst on his podcast and, and Tim Bochamps and Jackie McMullen said it great. Look, you know, if you have some type of pedigree or you had some type of resume which garnered respect, then some of the things that John Beeline has said, or at least the, using the word thugs, it might go over just a little bit better. You know, if you had some type of, if you had some type of, I don't know, currency in the league, or you had a reputation in terms of being a good coach or something like that, or a background in the NBA or something like that. But when you're 10 and 27, 
and you're having your players being, and you're treating your players like you're still in college and all those type of things, then no, nah, that that doesn't fly. That really doesn't fly. You know, Rick Carlisle, I heard this on the Wind Horses uh, podcast, you know, there was a film session where Rick Carlisle was just killing the team, just absolutely destroying the team for their effort and their play and everything else. And the players really didn't like it. They really, really weren't happy with Carlisle. But what are you going to do? Rick Carlisle won a championship. Rick Carlisle is one of the elite coaches in the league. So what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and take it and get better from it. John Beeline doesn't have that type of currency to use. So I meant to say thugs. I meant to say slugs instead of instead of uh, thugs. Not not happening. Not happening. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the dog. I'm glad I can be with you. Um, I'll save this for later. Yeah, I'm going to save this for later. Georgetown Hoyas basketball stopped the two-game losing streak beating St. John's. They play Villanova tomorrow. I'm hyped. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. I want to end the podcast by giving a shout-out. And I'm going to give the shout-out after this. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so doggone glad that you could be with us. I'm going to end the podcast today. Thank you very much for uh, sticking with me, man. There's about 20-something other topics that I want to talk about. We're into into the two-hour mark, so I want to end it with this. So I thank you very much for sticking around, if you are sticking around. This is very important to me, so I want to get this out. And I saved it for the, I guess you could say I saved the best for last. I'm going to give a shout-out. I'm going to give a special dedication to the Preuss girls basketball team. They improved their record to 8-7. and seven. They're 2-0 in league play. I saw them play the other day online on Facebook Live. They beat High Tech of San Diego, 43-22. No, that's not a football score. That's a basketball score. 43-22. Uh, my boy, Coach Hootner, is doing an absolutely fabulous job with those girls. The best offensive game of the season. They have balanced scoring from a multiple uh, number of girls on that team. They play hard. They're cheering. They're enthusiastic. Uh, Coach Hoot comes out there and chew them out pretty much, and they just keep coming back for more. I'll tell you one thing. I, I, give them, I give them credit for that because if I was Christine and, you know, Hootner was up there yelling at me, I'd be like, Coach, just shut the fuck up and let me play. Well, yeah, huh? do me a favor. Trade me. Cut me. I've got other things to worry about, okay? I've got classes to go to. I ain't going to be going to the WNBA, Gino, Oriama, Oregon, Tennessee. None of these schools, none of these women basketball powers are going to be coming in here talking about, ooh, can we go see Christine because we're going to be offering her a scholarship? The Los Angeles Sparks, the Washington Mystics, the Las Vegas, whoever's. I'm not playing in the NBA, WNBA, coach. Leave me to flip alone and let me play my game. She takes it. And she keeps right on motoring. 
That's a fabulous young lady, I tell you that, to be to be taking that nonsense. A 17-year-old, 18-year-old Wendell Wallace did not have the maturity, did not have the intelligence to uh, deal with something like that. So right there, it just shows that uh, Christine, fabulous job with that. But uh, the reason why I want to go ahead and talk about this this girls team or the girls team that my boy Coach Hootner is, is coaching, Mike Hootner is coaching down there in San Diego, is because watching that whole situation, watching that team, watching that organization do their thing, really has kind of made me a better person. I'll explain to you why. I mean, again, these, girl, these girls go to the Preuss School. It's a high school. It's recognized by Newsweek as the top transformative high school in the nation for three years in a row. It's what it is. It's a unique charter middle and high school for low-income students who strive to become the first in their families to graduate from college. And it's an environment that encourages intellectual risk-taking while offering an array of academic supports. So what happens is, if, of my understanding, is the fact that these young ladies go ahead and they finish their studies in high school that they're eligible to receive a scholarship to anywhere in the country. It doesn't matter. And the girls on Hootner's team, on this girls' basketball team, I mean, they're all very smart. I mean, they're just very brilliant girls. They take, you know, uh, courses that I can't even pronounce. They, they take AP courses and honors courses. They take courses that when I was in high school, I mean, damn, I, I, when I was a senior in high school, man, I was barely getting by biology. You know, I tried to take foreign language a couple of times. My mom was a French teacher, and I got a C in French. That's how bad I was as a student. I cared even less as a student. So, I mean, these girls, what they're doing is, is absolutely fabulous. And, again, it, it made me a better person because, you know, I was watching these girls play, and I'll be straight up and honest with you. These girls, how can I say this politely? How can I say this delicately? They're not going to be in anybody's top 100 as far as uh, they're not five-star recruits. They're not uh, girls who are going to be setting the world on fire. These girls are playing basketball because they love being around each other. They love the camaraderie of, that they have. They love the friendships that they form. They love the way that Coach Hootner has set up a community for these girls to become better people, better players, better students, and all those type of things. He's a very caring and natured type of individual which puts his team and his girls in a situation where they can succeed and where they can become better players and I'm, and I'm taking a look at this and I'm taking a look at these girls play and I gotta admit there's some times during watching them play that my eyes actually begin to bleed I mean there were some times when I was watching this game watching this game where I was thinking to myself my goodness this is like 10-15 minutes I could never get back in my life Holy mackerel. But you know what? When, when you take a step back and you you, you, you strip away the, the the air balls and the bricks and the missed layups and the hell balls and the bad passes and the bad decisions and all of those other things. And when you, when you step back, it's the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen because these girls are out there trying as hard as they possibly can. They are doing the very best that they can. And they're cheering for each other and they're behind each other 
110%. There's no egos. There's no, I should be playing more. There's no, I need to get more rebounds. There's no, I need to get more shots. Why is not taking all the shots? I need to get more shots. Why is Christine not passing me the ball? Why is Payne when she rebounds not giving me the ball? There is no yelling and screaming from Coach Hootner about how did you, Agnes, why did you throw up that shot? Or or Jasmine, what what are you doing? Or anything. There's nothing. There's no type of criticism in terms of their of their play. You know what I'm saying? There might be something to where he might yell at them because a fundamental might not be executed during a during a play, or maybe they're not hustling enough. But the, the fact that they're out there playing, and the fact that they're out there trying hard, and the fact that these girls are smart enough to know that they ain't any good. But the fact that they're out there playing and competing and trying because they love this stuff. They love what they're doing. And they love being around each other. And they love the friendship that they have. They're smart enough. They're intelligent enough. They're mature enough to know that this is the one time, this is the last time that we're going to have a chance to be in this environment doing what we're doing. And because of that, when we move on to whether it's going to be Tuskegee to where Payne is going or whether it's going to be to one of the Ivy League schools where Knock is going to be going or whether it's going to be to maybe a Spellman to where Ashea is going and then go to Howard University to get her law degree. No matter where they're going to be going, there's going to be a sisterhood. There's going to be a bond with social, me- with social media giving them the opportunity to where this is going to be something that's going to be lifelong. Whether they live to be 19 or 99, these are going to be lifelong friendships that they have. These are going to be connections that they have. These are going to be memories that they have that are going to be making them better. They're going to be making them better people. And those types of things are so evident when I watch them play. I watched them play four times in five games. I actually called a couple of their games, giving them stats for uh, who to put on max preps and such. So it was just an absolute joy. And it was just amazing because, again, when I was their age, there is no way with my immaturity, with my ego, with uh, with my stupidity and ignorance at that age, there's no way I could do what they're doing. If I wasn't great, if I wasn't going to be able to show off, if I wasn't going to be able to do something which had which had the girls go ooh and ah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't do it, and I would make fun of people who actually would. These girls don't care that they're not great basketball players. These girls don't care that they can't execute a Steve Smith. These girls don't care that they can't probably shoot a jump shot. These girls don't care that they can't do a Rondo or a LeBron. They don't care because you know what? They're doing the doggone best they can and they're having fun at it. So you know what? Screw you. Screw anybody else who thinks of you differently. This is just a platform. This is just a foundation for these girls to go ahead and become better people because of that. And all credit is due to Mike Hootner for going ahead and giving them these life lessons, giving them these opportunities, giving them the responsibilities, giving them the opportunity to do this for the amount of time that they have to get away from the structure that they're living in or the predicament or the environment that they're living in to, to get away from what's happening in their life that might be negative. And for an hour and a half for two hours or forever, the amount of time that they're, for, that they're together to have something positive. And in that positivity and in that happiness, they, low, they, 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 they learn and they grow from each other. And man, as I end this podcast today, man, that's exactly what I'm talking about, man. That's exactly what we should be doing, learning and growing. And it's not about the aesthetics. It's not about what we see on the surface. It's not about how we're, how we're looking. It's not about how we're trying to impress or improve 
prove to people who we don't even know, who don't give a damn about us. It's not about trying to go ahead to prove to them that we, that we should be worthy of their praise or worthy of their admiration or worthy of their oohs and ahs. It's all about the person that you are. It's all about impressing yourself and people around you who care about you, who really do love you for who they are, for who you are. That's what it's all about, man. That's what it's all about. And I don't know if any of this stuff makes sense to you, but damn it, it sure does make sense to me. And I was affected by watching these girls play. I was affected by the way that these girls were, uh, were, were the relationships that they had. These girls are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. The relationships are pure. Very rarely, once you get past 28, 32, 40, and even my age and beyond, you don't form relationships like that. You don't bond like that. You don't have friendships like that because at that time, mainly the people that you're bonding with, with are your spouses and your children and your family members. I mean, you're, you know, you, you don't, you don't have those type of, you don't create and develop those types of relationships when you're our age with those, what those girls are doing right now and what the similarities, similarities that they have going to that school and the backgrounds that they have. Some, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely fantastic, man. So I'm talking about Ashea, I'm talking about Payne, I'm talking about Linda, I'm talking about Knock and Christine and Agnes and... Essie and, uh, hold on, hold on. I've got to remember these names. I said y'all, I said your names for like four days. Uh, uh, Payne, Knock, Ashe, Jasmine, Linda, Vivi, Christine, Essie, Nate. Shoot, hold on. And anybody else I'm forgetting? Oh, no, no, the girl whose name I couldn't pronounce. Number 12 and number 13. All those names I couldn't pronounce. Doggone it. I'm sorry. I just want to tell you girls, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, even though I'm an adult and, you know, us adults think we know everything and this, that, and the other, and that's the reason why girls like you can't drive at your age. You can't drive. You can't vote. You can't smoke. You can do all these other. You can't drink liquor and all those, all those things. Let me tell you something, man. Adults can always learn something from people your age and become better people from being around people your age. And, uh, I feel that much safer and that much better that you girls are going to be leading the way in terms of making this place, making this world, making this society much better. We need more girls like you doing what they do. And I thank you for it. So because of you gals, I'm going to do my best to become a better person starting New Year's Eve when I got back. I'll, I'll fall. I'll regress. I'll forget, I'll, I'll go back to old habits, but when I do, when I need to get better as a person, as a human being, and treat people, and develop relationships, and do all those types of things that I've been, been rambling about for the last, I don't know, many minutes, I'll be thinking of you gals, so thank you very much, and thank you, Coach Hootner, my brother, for being who you are, and doing what you do for them girls, it's absolutely fantastic, now, you have definitely got to get uh, more offense from them girls. Uh, the play calling the last couple of games, not one of your best, not one, not one of your best, but you don't want to win some win. Let's run some more pick and rolls, please. Let's be a little bit more creative. Can we get some quick hitters for knock? Can we get some pick and rolls with uh, pain driving to the basket, please? Can we please 
get Christine handling the basketball, put Knock in the center of the press, and stop having Knock do everything. You need that girl for 32 minutes, and you're out there running her like she's James Harden with the Houston Rockets. You remember what happened to James Harden in the Houston Rockets in the playoffs, coach? Stop petting your dog, Jordan, and pay attention to the game. And get it done. Get it done. Play Jasmine a little bit more. Ashea comes in, sets some more picks. Come on. Come on. You can do it. Help them girls out. Help them girls out. I'm just joking with some of that stuff. But yeah, there you go. Thank you all. Love y'all. Music. <laughs>